Friday, September the 30th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Some NCAA football to dive into. We'll hit on some of the big games. I think we'll talk preview like eight or nine big games on the weekend slate. Then NFL, we'll get into every NFL game with Eric. Previews for all of them. We'll talk gambling, line movement, injury stuff, fantasy, DFS, some thoughts on last week's game, everything for each and every game. And then we'll tell you for all of them how we're playing, if we're playing, and then we come together and we select five games that we like the most and we play them together. We will then talk some horse racing. Friday, Woodbine and Santa Anita opens up. So we'll have a lot of Santa Anita every day that there's Santa Anita racing. We'll be talking about it here on That's What G Said. We'll have uh, some full card analysis. We'll have some handicapping uh, guests who help us out with some of the big races. We'll go through stakes races. And then I'll also be posting videos on social media. There'll be some live streams I'll be taking part in. Make sure to give us a follow. It's me, Gino B, because there'll be additional stuff for Santa Anita on social media. Make sure to follow on over there. For Saturday, we'll talk Belmont, Churchill, and Santa Anita. Sort of the last couple weekends for a lot of horses that will be prepping for the Breeders' Cup. So you'll see this weekend, maybe next weekend, then one more after that where you'll get a lot of horses trying to get their final race in before the Breeders' Cup. That's what we have this weekend with some stakes races at Belmont, Churchill, and at Santa Anita. We'll talk about Saturday Belmont stakes, Saturday Churchill stakes, and then Saturday Santa Anita. We finish up with this weekend wrestling with Chad Cooper, SmackDown, Raw, NXT, and AEW. We'll talk about it all right here on That's What G Said. That is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets. Make sure to go give them a follow on Twitter. Live streams, free previews for big games, major sporting events, all sorts of help just to make you become a better better. Everything's free over at BTV. You'll see and hear from all sorts of different people all around different levels of gambling and they'll all share their insights and some of their handicapping angles and ultimately who and why they're playing. I'm a big part of Better Than Vegas now. I've been hosting a lot of shows there for the last couple years. Make sure to come give us a follow at BTV Bets. Also starting up this weekend, the Santa Anita Pick'em Contest. These are free. Folks, these contests, if you are listening to this show, odds are you're probably a horse racing fan and odds are you're probably a sports fan. If you're a fan of either of those and you like playing in contests and winning money and you like playing in contests that are free, you have to try the Santa Anita Pick'em Contest. They'll be on the website at SantaAnita.com every single Saturday and Sunday. They're totally free to enter and you win a thousand dollars if you make the most correct picks they're prop games that combine horse racing and other sports props so for example there will be you know a couple that'll say pick the winner of race five and you'll have to select one of the horses in race five pick the winner of race eight there'll be a few on the card like that then there'll be a couple racing props that'll say how many wins on the card will jockey Juan Hernandez have and you'll have choices. Zero, one, two, three, four, five. You have to select how many wins will they have on the card. And then there'll be just traditional sports props um, and, and betting lines, right? College football betting lines, over-unders. In NFL, there'll be a little bit more prop stuff because the players are a little more popular, so everybody knows the players a little bit more. And it is a blast. It's fun. It takes you know a little thought process because you're combining racing and sports you have to handicap the Santa Anita card and then you have to dive into each of these games and figure out which way you want to go totally free and 
Starting next week, we'll have a live stream every week to preview, to show you how to get involved, and I will be posting videos showing everybody the process, how to sign up. If you play in the most contests and make the most selections from October 1st through November the 6th, you will get 2,000. So the more you play, the more winning selections you get, you'll get sort of a, um, a longevity bonus. Play in this thing every day, create an account, sign up. It, it doesn't cost you anything. You might as well read through the rules. SantaAnita.com. Check out the Santa Anita Pick'em Contest. Okay, let's dive into some NCAA football for Week 5. Let's preview some of the big games for this week, and uh, we will start. Remember, we do have a college football preview show over at Better Than Vegas every Friday with Eric, myself, XFL Jim, all on that preview show. Let's go to Kentucky versus Ole Miss this week. So we have Ole Miss as a seven-point favorite in this game, over under 53-and-a-half both of these teams come in at 4-0. and And for Kentucky, it's the return of Chris Rodriguez. Running back was ranked second among active FBS running backs since 2020 with a 92-plus grade by Pro Football Focus. The third highest first down slash touchdown rate and the fourth lowest rate of carries that resulted in no gain or a tackle for loss. Always getting gains, positive yardage, scoring, getting first downs. And currently... Kentucky has not been running the ball well. Their rushing grade is the lowest in the Power 5 so far this year. Last year, Rodriguez had 1,300-plus yards, 225 carries, 9 touchdowns, 3 more receiving touchdowns, and in 2020 against Ole Miss, he ran for 133 yards and 2 touchdowns. Kentucky wide receivers have been very good, so this should give them a more balanced offense. Robinson is tied for 4th in Power 5 in yards after the catch and the 2nd most receiving yards after contact. That's on the Kentucky side, but they will have a tough matchup as Ole Miss's coverage grade is the third highest in the Power 5. So they have five defensive backs that are among the 20 highest graded at their positions in the Power 5. Kentucky, 15-5-2 against the spread, against AP-ranked teams since the start of 2015. 15 of their 20 road games have gone under since 2018. So lots of unders recently. Uh, but they need to shore up that offensive line. They've been sacked 16 times this year, second most in the nation. Hopefully the balance of the run can help them just to be a little bit tougher to defend. On the Ole Miss side, you have Judkins, the true freshman running back. He gained 140 yards on 27 rushes versus Tulsa. He's reached 100 all-purpose yards in three of his first four outings. They scored 35 points in the first half last week and had a 17-point lead at halftime. They got shut out in the second half, and they almost blew that game to Tulsa. The largest favorite they've been over an AP top 10 team since 1978 is right now in this game. Seven point favorite. They've only been favored over a top 10 team three times in their own three against the spread in those three. They've been the team that gets out to a fast start, but they haven't finished games. Kentucky's been the opposite. They've been a little slow starting. Something's got to give here. We move to Texas Tech, Kansas State. Kansas State is a 7.5 point favorite. Both these teams come off of big wins last week. Over under 57. Both teams are 3-1. and one. Texas Tech beat Texas in overtime last week. They were down 14 late in the third quarter. They rallied to tie the game. They are 2-4 and four straight up and against the spread against AP-ranked opponents since the start of last year. 
Kansas State comes off that big win over Oklahoma last week. They're 3-1 overall. Adrian Martinez threw for 234 yards. He rushed for 148 and four touchdowns. Kansas State's 4-0-1 against the spread, playing Texas Tech their last five games. And they're 12-5-1 as a favorite, which is covering as a favorite, which is the best cover percentage as a favorite in the Big 12 since the start of 2019. So some good numbers for Kansas State there. A couple positive things. I would lean Kansas State in this game. I would probably lean Kentucky to give Kentucky a, a shot in, in the opener with the, the boost of Rodriguez coming back. I lead Kansas State here. I think Texas Tech got the big victory last week, as did Kansas State. But I think a little overall, I'm just a, little, a little more impressed with them. Let's get to Oklahoma, TCU. Oklahoma 3-1, and TCU 3-0. Oh, uh, Oklahoma comes off that loss to Kansas State last week where they let Adrian Martinez run all over them. Now they have to deal with Duggan from TCU. He has three games in his career with more than 100 yards rushing. He ran for 92 against Oklahoma back in 2019. Oklahoma is number seven in the nation in total offense. They're averaging 513 yards a game, but they continue to fall behind early each of their last three games. They have beat TC. They have defeated TCU in eight straight games, six and one against the spread in their last seven. Oklahoma is 0-3 against the spread as a conference road favorite in their last three. For TCU, Duggan has been more of a passer this year, completing 77% of his passes for eight touchdowns, no interceptions, just 33 yards rushing after being sacked five times in last week's win over SMU. TCU's averaging more than 215 yards rushing. They've had three really easy opponents to start the year, though. This is going to be a much tougher test for them. They haven't been great as an underdog either, 1-5, as an underdog since the start of last year. Let's go to Michigan, Iowa. I like Iowa at home in this spot just because they're getting a bunch of points in a game that's probably going to be low scoring. The total in this game is only 42. Michigan is a 10.5 point favorite in this one. Oklahoma TCU, Oklahoma is a 6.5 point favorite in that game, and Oklahoma and the uh, over under is 69. So Michigan, 10.5 point favorite against Iowa. That big of a spread with a low total. This is Michigan's first road game. Running back, Lake Quorum is averaging 7.5 yards per carry, nine touchdowns so far this year, rushing for 200. So he's had a couple great, great games. He had five touchdowns one week, then another where he ran for 243 yards on 30 carries. Michigan is 11-4 and four against the spread as a favorite since the start of last year. Best cover percentage in the Big Ten over that span. Seven of the last eight road games have gone over that Michigan has been in. And Michigan has lost four straight games outright at Iowa. This will be the ninth time for this particular coaching staff at Iowa that they've hosted a top five team. In the first eight, they're five and three. They've won five of the last six. One of those wins, 2016 against number two Michigan. They've allowed just 23 points this year. Fewest given up over their first four games in the last 66 years. Their defense scored more touchdowns than the offense last week. They had an interception return for a touchdown and a fumble return for a touchdown. And they ended up winning a game 27-10 to when they got outgained by almost 100 yards total. They got crushed by Michigan in the Big 12 championship or Big 10 championship last year at 42-3. Offense ranks last in the Big 10 for Iowa in scoring in total offense. 17 points per game, just 232 yards per game. The quarterback has completed just 51% of his throws, just one touchdown, and the rushing game is only averaging three yards per carry. But 
I was 9-2 against the spread against top 5 ranked teams since the start of 2008. I think they can keep it close enough to cover this game here. I don't know if they have enough offense to win, but at double digit, two scores for them, can they do that? Can they get to 14 or 17? One defensive score and one offensive score and a field goal? Let's move to Wake versus Florida State. So Florida State is a 7-point favorite in this game, over under around 64. Florida State is 4-0. Wake Forest is 3-1, coming off a tough loss last week. I kind of like Wake Forest in this game as a uh, an underdog in here. Wake Forest has a 90-plus coverage grade, which is 5th best in the Power 5. They have the highest pass rushing grade in the Power 5. Florida State allowed the 8th highest pressure rate. Wake Forest ran out of gas in the second overtime against Clemson, and they honestly should have won that game. Hartman had six touchdowns, 13 so far this year, tied for fifth. They did give up 371 yards passing to uh, DJ from Clemson. He had a career-high five passing touchdowns. They have won the last two against Florida State, but only 8-30 and 30 all time. When you look at the advanced box score for Wake Forest-Clemson, they should have won that game by four. They were better on down-to-down on success rate, and they had more explosive plays than Clemson last week. On the Florida State side, quarterback Jordan Travis, second-highest grade among Power 5 quarterbacks, and he's throwing to the nation's highest-graded wide receiver, Johnny Wilson, and he also has the 11th highest on his team. The only team to have two wide receivers ranked in the top five by Pro Football Focus. Last week he threw for 321 yards Did Travis Florida State's off to their best start since 2015 They're ranked in the top 25 for the first time In more than 4 years They did have to cancel classes preparing for the effects Of the hurricane but the game does remain scheduled They've averaged 37.5 points per game Allowing just 18.8 points per game That ranks in the top 35 In both Now their defense Is still Not great when you dive into it 113 in standard down success rate Over 56% of opponent run plays Have gained 4 or more yards They've only stuffed 14% of the runs Their top defensive tackle was seen with a boot A couple other defensive linemen banged up They're outside the top 100 In rushing defense success rate I think Wake will be able to score on this team I'm going to take Wake plus the 7 we move to Oklahoma State versus Baylor. Baylor a two and a half point favorite in this game, over under fifty six and a half. OK State three and zero. Baylor three and one. Oklahoma State beat Baylor last year in the regular season, but they lost in the Big Twelve title game. Remember where the Big Twelve title game? They were first and goal at the two with a minute nineteen remaining. They got stopped four times, including once just short of the goal line. So they split last year Quarterback for Oklahoma State Sanders threw 12 interceptions all of last year But 7 came in the 2 games against Baylor Including 4 in the Big 12 title This year, so far 900 plus yards, 10 touchdowns and an interception But according to Pro Football Focus Power Rankings They've played the 3rd easiest schedule in the country The defensive line Has the highest run defensive grade In the nation They're going up against a Baylor team That runs at the the 7th highest run rate And has a very good running game Oklahoma State leads the nation in scoring offense With 51.7 points per game They rank 8th in total offense With 511 yards per game Baylor is looking for their 10th straight win at home The offense ranks 22nd in scoring 23rd in points allowed 
Quarterback Shapin has completed more than 70% of his passes a couple times so far this year. They are 5-0 against the spread on the road since the start of last year. 10-2 against the spread as an underdog since the start of 2018, the best cover percentage over that period. Baylor, Oklahoma State, we move to Bama versus Arkansas. Bama's a big favorite here. 17-point favorite, over-under 61 they could be getting back a couple wide receivers And Harrell and Earl They actually don't rank really high with their wide receivers They don't have anyone that's graded all that high Their EPA added per play on deep throws Is the lowest of Power 5 And all their receivers have Sub 70 grades But two big receivers coming back That have been dealing with foot issues They could be making their debut against Arkansas And this is an Arkansas defense that's not good Arkansas was up last week 14-0 Then they gave up 23 straight in the loss to A&M They could have won that game, they should have They ranked ninth nationally with 243 plus rushing yards a game Just ahead of Alabama So they run the ball really well Running back Sanders leads the SEC 508 yards 83 carries, 6.1 yards per carry Jefferson can also run the ball 274 rushing yards, 4 touchdowns 940 yards passing and 8 touchdowns He's doing it all And Arkansas has the highest run rate of Power 5 teams. They run on 69.4% of their plays this year. They actually have the highest run blocking grade in the Power 5. But Alabama has the highest run defensive grade in the country. And Alabama has made 32 tackles for loss or for no gain this year. Second most. Arkansas is 0-17 straight up in their last 17 games against top 5 teams. 8-9 against the spread. They've lost 15 in a row to Alabama Just the second road game of the year for Alabama First conference road game Bama 5th in the nation in scoring 6th in total offense Young has been good as you'd expect Over 1,000 yards, 13 touchdowns, 2 interceptions Also ran for 150 and 2 touchdowns I'll probably stay away, no real strong opinion in this one We move to Texas A&M versus Mississippi State A couple of 3-1 and teams here You have... Mississippi State is a four-point favorite. Over/under in this game is 45. A&M with a couple big back-to-back wins over Miami, then Arkansas. They have this game, and then they have Alabama next week. They've been a little more consistent with Johnson taking over at quarterback for King. He's completed 21 of 41, 290 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions in those two wins. Running back ran the ball for 160 last week against Arkansas. But they will be without their leading wide receiver Breaking the fibula last week Out for the year Texas A&M 10th in passing defense And all four games have gone under this year Mississippi State Lost to LSU 31-16 In the conference opener Came back to beat Bowling Green last week Quarterback Rodgers passing for 346 yards a game 16 touchdowns Tied for first in those Five different receivers have caught at least 15 passes this year I'm not a fan of laying that number But this is like a tough spot for AM With all of these big games in a row And this one doesn't feel quite as big I, I could see them just being flat here I'd lean Mississippi State Let's finish up the college games North Carolina State against Clemson A couple top 10 teams here Clemson has scored 175 points in their first four games That's actually the highest they've scored ever in their first four with Dabo Good running back averaging 88 plus yards per game And DJ's fourth highest passing grade 
Power 5 last week, 5 big time throws, no turnover worthy plays He's been really good NC State, they have not won at Clemson since 2002 But they did beat Clemson last year in NC State Snapping an 8 game losing streak to them They have a top 15 coverage grade in the secondary They will have to throw the ball and try to move it through the air Because you just can't really run it against Clemson So dive into some of this week's biggest college football games Good luck in all of your plays As we shift on over Let's talk some NFL We welcome in our buddy Eric We're going to dive into all of the Sunday NFL games And the Monday night football game Deep dives on all of them Game analysis Injury information Line movement DFS and fantasy thoughts Eric joins us to talk some NFL NFL week 4 Already into week 4 Eric joins us as he does each and every week And we're looking at the lines Over with our friends at Betfred Sports Make sure to give them a follow Great partnership with our uh, Crew at BTV Bets And at Betfred Sports So Eric, this week We have the the first of the London games Game start even earlier on Sunday If your significant others Were upset that Sunday football Are such long days Well, now they're going to start even earlier Because there's a game that's at uh, night. I have a wedding It's going to be brutal here getting up early for that game. And, you know, it's I'm not looking forward to Sunday being hungover, watching a little football. But, uh, you know, set those lineups Saturday night fantasy just in case you have a few too many because you're going to be set. You know, I'll be I'll be locked in. I'll be ready to go. So but I I actually like these London games just because they're a little me too. get a full day of football. Um, It's an interesting game. Uh, I was looking at Cousins. If you just take the 1 p.m. games out of his career, he's 43% ATS. Wow. If you take out when he's a dog and just when he's a favorite, he's 42 ATS. So kind of like these games where the spotlight is on him and he can't hide when there's multiple games at 1 o'clock, he historically struggles. Winston, 55% against the spread. I'm I'm looking at the Vikings uh, DVOA. You know, they're 26 on defense. They're 31st DVOA defending the run. Saints are 13th DVOA running the ball. I kind of think this is the game because last week was the first game Kamara got back. I think this is the game we see Kamara get going. Heavy dosage Kamara, lean on this run game and where the Vikings have struggled. And another thing, the um, the um, the Saints, they left for this game on Monday, Monday morning. So they've been in London since Monday. The Vikings have not left as they, we're recording on Thursday night. They're leaving Friday morning, right? No, they're leaving Friday morning. They have not left yet. And I think that's kind of a big thing. We can say that stuff about Dennis Allen. Dennis Allen, he's been over there multiple times as an assistant coach. So this he's new been team. there. He's done that. He's He's used to this. Um, they consulted know. with some like sleep experts. The Vikings did, but this is just kind of weird. I don't know. And like you said, the primetime thing still sort of feels like it's going to hit with cousins. Cause I think as you're saying for him, it might be a combination of everyone watching you and maybe just some of those games where your routine's a little off, right? Like if you're later in the day or earlier in the day, or you have these primetime games there, you're not quite used to when it's just you and their standalone games. It's not quite the normal routine you have. I, yeah, I, I feel like this is a good spot for the saints. Now, Jameis is dealing with the back issues. I'm actually, I, I never thought I would say this. I'm kind of hoping it's Dalton because what that will do then Eric will 
that will force them to run the ball and they will do a lot more of the short intermediate passing. And I think that will work well in this particular spot against the Vikings. You have at rushing defense, like you said, that's bad. They rank 31st and they're 29th in pressure rate. Smith could be out. They, they could be able to sort of just sort of attack yeah. in like, you know, intermediately. Cause you're not Dalton's not going to launch and, and drop back and, you know, really, really go down the field. Uh, Cousin had go ahead. Quick trend. Uh, teams that have lost three in a row ATS are 149, 125, and eight against the spread. Comes out to a, like almost 55%. So that's a nice little trend here when they're a dog, which the Saints are. The Saints are a dog here. I actually locked them in at three. I love the Saints in this situation. I think this will be one of our five plays this week because I'm on the Saints too. Landry and Thomas, keep an eye on them. They both had injuries that they were dealing with last week. They left the game. Man, Olave's a stud. He had nine catches for 147 yards. He just, he is a a stud so far. Good route runner. Really good. They've only scored 13 combined points in the first quarter through three games. They got to get going quicker. They only have one touchdown in the first 25 drives in the first three quarters of their first games, one out of 25 touchdowns, they are that's dead last. Almost 75% of their offensive production has come in the fourth quarter when they've been behind and they sort of been forced to, to like speed things up and to get a little bit more aggressive. The offense just looks bad last week. I think, multiple, that, I think that has to do with Winston not being I agree. Right? Kamara not being there, the wide receivers missing time. I think they fumbled is- last week. They had a blocked field goal, some bad penalties. Just a lot of little things. This yeah, is a week to take a little time, but I still like the Saints long term. And I'm, I, I think the Vikings are the biggest bluff in the league. I agree completely. They should not have won that game last week. Um, that week one win against Green Bay is not nearly as good when Green Bay is missing both of their starting alignment, offensive linemen. Green Bay that weird scheme stuff for Jefferson that week. I totally agree with you. I. I like the Saints in this spot also. They they outgained Carolina 426 yards to 293 last week. Kind of a weird stat, though. They, I guess this makes sense when you think about Drew Brees, but they were shut out four times in the first half in the 228 games that Drew Brees started. So there were four times they had no points. In the 20 games since he's left, they've been shut out four times in the first half. That's kind of crazy. Um, One quick thing, you know, I mentioned about the running backs. Vikings are giving up 24.6 fantasy points per game, half point PPR to running backs. Um, I kind of like the single game slate in these standalone games. Kamara is definitely someone you can kind of look to put in your um, um, captain spot. Yep. Captain spot. I think he's going to be a little under owned. I think people have forgot about him a little bit. What do we know about cook this weekend for the Vikings um reality of the situation is this he's had six shoulder injuries since coming into the league um you know he practiced today but holding a ball on your right shoulder that's that's tough you know people swatting on it and everything um you know I was low on him coming into the year just because I think this coach is I'm not high on what this coach is doing changing all the schemes and everything the blocking scheme I would look to bet the cook unders. I'd be shocked. Like if, even if he does go, if he's able to produce. Jameis has five interceptions this year. All five are against zone coverage. 
and the Vikings are playing some variant of zone on 85% of the snaps through this through three weeks, this might be that spot for Andy Dalton to take advantage of those short passes that they're giving you. Whereas Jameis tries to get a little greedy sometimes and, and take the shots there, especially when you're in situations where your offense is struggling, you see there might be an opportunity there. You take an extra shot. Dalton's a little more conservative. We'll continue to monitor that. Anything else you want to mention Viking saints before we move along? Uh, if you had to guess off the top of your head, this goes out to all the people that were ranking Justin Jefferson over Cooper Cup. Where do you think he is? What wide receiver number? Okay, so for the all, overall this year, overall PPR in fantasy scoring, what, PPR scoring, what wide receiver number? Well, I know that in the last two weeks, he is number 57. Well, overall, he is only number 10. Yeah. Because uh, with that monster week yeah. one, yeah. his last two weeks, he's been terrible combined for nine catches and 62 yards. So the first week, you it was, you know, the week after the monster game, maybe we could understand. Um, last week, your guy Okuda played really well against him. Uh, he he did a great job, you know, and now he's going to be shattered by, uh, shadowed by Lattimore this weekend, which won't be easy for him. The Vikings are dead last on third. Cousins is dead last on third down among qualified passers. Yeah, and I just don't like the travel spot. So we're both in on the Vikings here in yeah, this spot. Locked. You locked him at three, right? Locked him at three. Yeah. And, or excuse me, I said both on the Vikings. We're both on the Saints, excuse me, plus the three. We both, yeah. So we're both on the Saints here. Um, look for the best number you can find. We're seeing it right now at about two and a half. I like, I'm fine with the Saints money line sprinkle here. I think they play well in this spot. Let's go Buffalo, Baltimore, Eric. So one thing we've seen is scoring has been down about five points a game through three weeks. Last week, Brady, Rogers, Mahomes, and Allen scored 12, 14, 17, and 19 in their games. In the Packineers, the Packineers, Packers, Buccaneers, Broncos, 49ers, combined for 47 points total in two primetime games last week. Weeks one and two, each team was averaging 21.4 points per game individually. Last year, each team was averaging 24 and through three weeks it's down. It's even in just around 20 points per game per team. What it looks like is this two safety look, the two deep safety, which has become the kind of trendy defense because it's forcing the offenses to go underneath long sustained drives, less big plays. And then that gives you more of an opportunity for a turnover or something to go wrong, a penalty that bumps the offense back. The longer you force them into a drive, the more variables there are in, in drives. And we've been seeing that all over this game. I don't know if I, if we're going to see the, uh, the low scoring, but there, there could be some weather in here, right? Like possibly yeah, some wind, some weather issues could be raining. Definitely going to be some wind. And that's something we have to mention for a lot of games this weekend, because some of the games in Florida maybe moved around, maybe adjusted right now. It looks like they're actually going to be staying in Tampa from what I'm, thinking and so we'll keep you updated on anything we also have a show on sunday morning at 11 o'clock a.m eastern time where we'll go over everything up to date information there eric talk to us about bills ravens we're seeing right around three right buffalo three point favorite or so on the road see my my issue is i always tend to lock these in early 
early. So I, I got the four. Um, as soon as I saw there was going to be some weather issues, I got the four um, just because I had. Would like, you play it at three or over? Like three and a half? I would still play the three. I'd still play the three and a half. But at two and a half, that's where you would start. You wouldn't play it. This is my thought process right here. Um, a, I thought the Bills game plan was absolutely putrid. Uh, you, the reality of the situation is this. You're banged up, especially in the secondary. You have a practice squad secondary out there. And you only ran the ball 20 times. You passed 63 times. You have to be able to run the ball, control the clock. Well, it actually kind of did because they did have still have the ball for 42 minutes. But you have to keep your defense, which has holes, off of the field. The Dolphins are rolling out too high safety and completely shut down that Bills offense. You have to, you you know, with how smart this Harbaugh coaching tree is, that they're going to be rolling out the same thing too high and just make him dink and duck. Stuff to Isaiah McKenzie, stuff to um, uh, Singletary out of the backfield and just kind of dink and dunk it down the field. Um, You know, Dobbins is going to be playing more, but the main thing is I think Ronley Stanley, last I heard, is going to be back, which is going to improve the the offensive line. And then you just look at Harbaugh. Harbaugh, 58% ATS as a dog, 56% ATS as a, um, excuse me, and home dog dog. as a home dog uh and we look lamar has 12 tds on the year no other team has scored 12 tds dude he's having an absolutely unbelievable thing and bills are banged up you know we're four we're what are we three games in and they have some mondo injuries they were playing without their entire secondary last week they were playing without oliver and phillips a couple defensive tackles both of the starting safeties. Then they were dealing with the 90 degree heat in a game where they ran 90 plays. They guys were like really, really, really tired at the end of the game. Their starting center. They got hurt a couple weeks back. So they bobbled a snap right before the half. They had a couple miscues. I mean, you dive into this game. It's one of the more fascinating box scores that you'll find with the bills. Like what it, they should have won that game, obviously. And I'm going to mention a bunch of things about them, but what it shows you is that when you can't run the ball, that's the point you keep mentioning. The close games are tough. Eric, they are Oh, and seven in their last seven, one score games, the bills, they can't win close games. They can beat the crap out of you, but they just cannot win close games. They won the time of possession. They had the ball for over 40 minutes they had 90 plays compared to Miami's 39. And Miami only really had 37 official because a couple of them were kneel downs. 497 total yards to 212. 42 minutes, 20 seconds, they had the ball. Um, 51 play differential. That's the second highest in a loss ever. But you were hitting on this when you and I were talking a little back and forth. Honestly, Josh Allen, he's awesome. He's so good. He's so talented. The last couple of years, he's been fantastic. Last week... He was bad. Yeah. He was ranked 30th based on overall offensive grade for quarterbacks on the week last week. 31st in passing grade. He was only ahead of Baker and Joe Flacco. He was behind Jimmy G and Justin Fields. Six yeah. turnover-worthy plays. And here's the thing. People give passes who they like. If Tua made those passes, his name would get me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, he would just be getting ripped apart on social media, but people don't do that to Josh Allen because they like him. So um, I, yeah, he played a bad game. You know, I just, 
I don't know. To me, it's Ravens or nothing here. So many weird things in here. They they had 31 first downs to 15 for the Dolphins. They were 61% on third downs. They yeah, they countered the blitzing with a bunch of short, quick targets, Singletary McKinsey, but they missed a 38-yard field goal. They dropped a likely pick six, dropped touchdown pass from Gabe Davis, couldn't score a touchdown four times within the two-yard line late in the fourth, failed to spike the ball in time for one last field goal attempt at the end of the game, gave up a third and 22. All of those things. According to Stathead, teams who have had at least 450 yards, 31 first downs on offense, they allowed two, less than 250 yards on defense, and they held the ball for 40 minutes or more, they were 16-1 and one going into Sunday with those things. And the last time a team had all of those things go for them and lost was in 1996. They converted their first two trips inside the 20 to touchdowns, and then they didn't again the rest of the game. Second half, they kicked field goals from the 11, from the 20. They turned the ball over at the two. That backup center, multiple snaps. They're not getting a lot of explosive plays. 19th in explosive play rate. And their early down offense efficiency is 23rd in first and second down. What they're doing is they, they're they lucky that Josh Allen can kind of bail them out on third down a lot of the time. So it's a, it's a mirage, like third and longs for them. They you know They end up getting them. But check this out. They're number two in late down efficiency. He has helped them pick up a touchdown or a first down on 66% of third downs. Do you know what the league average is for that stat? No, what is it? 34. There's no way he's going to sustain anything close to that. So they cannot win games like this where, oh, it's first in, you know, first and 10, second in, eight. Third and five again, right? Like you you can't do that over and over and over again. It's just not sustainable. Every offensive lineman is dealing with an injury issue and everyone in their secondary is also. Yeah. That's what's scary about this game and getting a field goal with a Baltimore team that and has Lamar. In practice today. So that's another thing we got going on. Um, you know, they, they got a ton of injuries. Like I said, you know, they got some offensive line injuries. I don't understand what the heck they're doing. You cannot win a, a Super Bowl when your quarterback is your leading rusher. You just can't do it. You need to be able to run the ball. Last year, they figured it out the last five games of the year. Looked a lot better. Um, I hope they do. You know, if they lose this game, you know, and if they drift up to 10 to 1 in the market, maybe then, play him. maybe then we'll get some value on the Bills. But right now, just got to kind of sit back and hold and hold our ground. Have to mention a couple things about Lamar because he's been so damn good. Four touchdown passes and a touchdown run. And 100 yards rushing, and they scored 36 points in New England. That was their first ever win in New England. Lamar is averaging four touchdowns a game. Through three weeks, he has the third highest passing grade in the league, Eric. That's one thing that was kind of been a weakness for him, his passing grade and his accuracy. He's first in passer rating. He leads the league with 10 touchdowns passing, 243 yards rushing. He's fourth in the league in rushing. He's the second player ever to have four touchdown passes and 100 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown in the same game. He's the first player in the Super Bowl era to have three touchdown passes and a rushing and 100 yards rushing in back-to-back games. (laughs) They just like have all of these fun things. Over the last two weeks, he's run for 226 yards, two touchdowns on just 20 rushes, 11.3 yards per attempt. 
He has 102.3 fantasy points through three games. That's the most by any quarterback in history. And the offense and Lamar are both first in DVOA in the quarterback rankings and in overall offensive rankings. There have been seven times in his career where he's had 200 passing yards and 100 yards rushing in a game. No player since 1950 has more than three of those. He's the first player in NFL history with 10, two, with 10 plus two touchdown passing games, 200 plus yards rushing in the first three games of the year. Only one other player has ever done it in a three-game span. He did it in 2019. They're averaging 33 points a game, but they're giving up more than 450 yards of total offense. So that's last in the NFL. And that's 40 more yards than any other team in the NFL is giving up. They're giving up 353 passing yards a game. No team in the league is giving up more than 300. This this is the Dobbins game, right? They got him back a little slow last time. Shake off the rust a little bit. Maybe a little more work a workload for him here. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to work the ball. I think they're going to run it, especially with like the um, the uh, with the weather issues that are going to be up there. So this is an interesting matchup because the Bills play a lot of that too high. They don't blitz. So they can get pressure without sending extra. This is going to be a completely different look than what Lamar has seen in the defensive schemes he's played in the first three weeks. Third in EPA per dropback against the non-too-high shell look. 19th against the too-high shell look. And that's what Buffalo does defensively. But do they have enough talent back there right now for it to matter when they're going to be throwing in guys off the practice squad, second and third stringers, and not a lot of their real top-tier talent. Eric, you and I are both on uh, Baltimore at plus the three here. Let's go to the Bears versus the Giants. We see this one as Chicago, a three-point dog on the road. Giants, a three-point favorite at home over under 39 and a half. The Bear, both of these teams are two and one. One of these teams is going to be three and one. This is the battle of the worst two and one teams. Um, you know, you just kind of look at it. Which quarterback do you trust more? Justin Fields, 33 PFF grade still on the season. Jones, 38% ATS at home as a favorite at home, 20%. The main thing that stood out for me is I really think the Bears are going to be able to run the ball. They're six DVOA rushing the ball. Um, Giants are giving up 138 yards per game and are 28th DVOA. I think the Bears are going to come out. I think they're going to run the ball. I mean, right now, this is sitting at that, what, three number. So I really won't get involved. It's kind of one of those things, like if it dips up to three and a half, you look at the Bears. If it dips under the three, you kind of have to look at the Giants. But this is two teams I don't trust, two quarterbacks I don't trust. I really don't want anything to do in it. This is an ugly game. I think Herbert's going to be insanely over-owned. I know because he had. I mean, he he was great, right? So you can mention what he did great, but you don't want to buy someone after the great week. You want to get them before they go or the week after they had a really bad week. Thanks. I I I heavy shares in Montgomery for me and my DFS stuff, and it was the right side because the Texans are the worst team against the run this year. They're giving up the most yards per game, and you know, right side just you know you can't do anything when the player gets injured. Like, what was it, four, four or five plays in? You know, if, if that's not Herbert, my point is that's Montgomery. Yeah, and you made a great point when we've talked about the Bears with Fields. This coaching staff, these aren't their guys, right? Like, they don't have ties to Montgomery or Fields. So if they like Herbert, Herbert might be a guy that 
gets a little bit more run. And you look at what he did. I, I, I completely agree with you. I do not want him anywhere in DFS this year. He's going to be this week. He's going to be way overvalued, but he was excellent per next gen stats. He ran for 81 rushing yards over expected eight first down rushes, six explosive runs, 130 yards after contact on the ground. And there have been five games in his career where he has double digit carries in those five games. He's averaging over a hundred yards per game. I don't know if he could do it for a full season and be like a workhorse guy between the tackles, but this might be a team that's looking toward the future more. And they may may be thinking like, Hey, maybe somebody else could use a Montgomery or Hey, moving forward, maybe let's give this younger guy a look. And who knows if we get off of Montgomery, I'm not sure if that's something that they're going to do immediately, but just keep that in mind. They have, Cause they just want to run the ball. There've been three games this year, Eric, where a team threw less than 20 passes in a game. Oh, All three times. It was the bears. Yeah. They just, they have no faith in fields. It wouldn't surprise me. And let's be honest, you know, it great for them. They're off to a two and one start. You know, they beat the, they beat the Texans really shouldn't have won the game. They beat, beat the 49ers yeah. in the monsoon. They beat. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. You know, I'm not, you got to win though. You know what? Someone's going to win those games yeah, and they want them, but you know, would it surprise you if this team ended up with four wins and a top five pick and no. drafted the quarterback? No. And last week we weren't sure if Smith was going to play. He comes in, he has 16 tackles and interception. And then he has that game winning return where he returns the ball all the way to the 12 and it sets up a field goal. They don't even have to, it's, you know, it is what it is. You know, we you know, Texans, you know, I'm not their Their line allowed multiple sacks for the second time in three weeks, nine total pressures, five hurries, two hits, two sacks on just 25 pass blocking snaps. Keep in mind, they're not even dropping back a whole lot because when they do, they just get crushed. They had, a third and six, a third and 10, and a third and 17. They ran the ball in all of those. They got yeah. the ball with 40 seconds left to go in that, uh, before halftime. Didn't run a pass. All three, t- and they had, uh, and they, they had timeouts too. They just, they're going to try to run, take all the air out of the ball, have less possessions for everyone. The Giants, they are getting nothing from Kenny Galladay and from Tony. They had zero combined catches from those two in week three. And keep in mind, those two are combined to make $45 million between last year and this year. They've scored zero touchdowns in 19 games. Galladay, your boy, your lion, two receptions for 22 yards in three games this year. making spending Matt Stafford a Christmas card every single year because the amount of money Matt made for him. Making $13 million this year. Insane. And Man. the thing is, is like, Shepard's done. He's done ACL. He's done for the year. He was their only productive receiver. Yeah, someone's got to fall into these targets, you know. So is it James who now leads the team in target share? Do you go to Still? Does Tony get some run? They do have that kid from Kentucky, Robinson. He's coming back. He's been a little banged up, right, Wandale? He's a little banged up. But I'll be honest, this is one of those games. I don't want – yeah. There's no, I don't want to see much of it either. No point into it, you know. Watch McCall. It's going to be highly overowned in DVS. Herbert, um, Barkley. You know, I'm really not that sold on him. Not sold on anybody. You know, this this game's a pure stay away for me. Let's move to Browns Falcons. So we're seeing the Browns as a slight favorite here, one point favorite on the road at Atlanta. Over under in this game, 47. You have Cleveland coming in to this week. Jacoby Brissett is ranked number three overall in PFF quarterback grades behind only Lamar and Jalen Hurts. 
Last yeah. week, he had the highest passing grade. Two big-time throws, no turnover-worthy plays. He was 21 for 31. He dealt with three drop passes and an 82% adjusted completion rate. Currently seventh in passing DVOA. He's right. He's graded out really well. Yeah, Offense, he's playing great. Um, um, yeah, O-line finished with their best pack pass-blocking graded game of the year. Najoku had 10 targets, nine receptions, 89 yards, and a touchdown. Chubb ran for 100. Um, 24th career game with a hundred or more rushing yards passing Derek Henry for the most in that, in uh, the time period since 2018, but the defense, they're just 23rd in DVOA. And I, I don't know if I have a strong opinion. I I've liked the Falcons a little bit more. And I know you have, you know, just in the off season and heading into this season, talk to us about this game. Oh my God. A our Chubb 10 to one bet for most rushing yards. So far, so good. He's leading it. Um, this game for me, A, which quarterback do you trust? You know, that's how you have to look. Mariota. Mariota in fantasy, and I actually in one league, I, I picked him up because I need somebody this week. He's 13th in total fantasy points. He's not bad. He's just, he does what you expect, right? He uh, fumbles or letting opponents back into the game late because he's going to run the ball a little bit. So, more likelihood for a fumble or a turnover. Um, he had two in the second half. He lost one with five minutes left, and that sort of gave Seattle a chance. And a similar thing happened when they lost the game to the Saints. So he, but he's been way more competent. And like they're they're not a bad offense to watch. They actually scored a lot of points last week. Last week it was just their defense that was a little disappointing, allowing Seattle to to produce as well as they did. Yeah, I mean, I look at it like this. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. If I had to bet something in this, I would definitely take the over. Browns, DVOA, fourth-best offense, second-best rushing attack. Falcons, 27th. Overall, DVOA defense, 27th against the run. Flip side, Browns are 27th DVOA rushing the ball. Falcons have a great rushing attack. I think this is going to be an up-and-down game. If I had to bet this, I would take the over. Um, Falcons are giving up the second-most points per game to opposing tight ends in fantasy. I kind of wish Nujoku didn't have a good game last Thursday, but since it was Thursday, maybe it's out of the mind. I think he could be a DFS guy that offers a little bit of value. Patterson for Atlanta ran for 141 yards and a touchdown. It's so weird. He was only targeted one time and he only ran routes on 11 of 25 snaps, but it was the second time in three weeks he established a new career best rushing high. This guy just does not make sense. It doesn't make sense, it doesn't but... Make sense, but the, the reality of the situation is this. He's not used to touching the ball this much. No. He's going to crash. It's gonna, he's going to wear down, especially between the tackles when he's getting yeah. beat up like this. They only passed the ball 20 times. 14 of them went to London or Pitts. Pitts yeah. got four targets on the first drive. They're 4-0... and oh, when Pitts has 80 or more receiving yards. So, you know, you feed, you feed him. They had six drives that went inside the Seattle 36 yard line last week. So they moved the ball really well. They actually rank eighth in offensive DVOA so far. So, you know, you've, you've been on Arthur Smith's they could for a while. Three and oh. I mean, when you look back at the situation. Absolutely. And for right sure, two and one. The Rams game, they, they I mean, it was close it. late. They yeah. had a chance late. The Rams sort of laid down, but yeah. they they blew the Saints game for sure. They yeah. should be two and they, one. They absolutely, could be, they could be two and one. Um, you know, interesting team here. I think uh, this is just going to be one of those teams. You look to bet the overs. 
And since their defense does struggle a little bit, has some holes, offense is so explosive, this team is always going to be DFS gold. Um, I think they're building something in Atlanta. They're one or two years away. I kind of like what I'm seeing from them. Me too. Me too. Let's move to Jacksonville versus Philly. Really fun game here. Everybody's high on the Jags now, man. The only thing is, is they're going to be facing a very good Philadelphia Eagles team here. I'm very curious to talk this game out with you. So Philly is a six and a half point favorite right now, over under 45 and a half for the Jags. Lawrence had another great game, 262 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. He completed 19 of his final 22 passes through three weeks. He's ranked 11th in pro football focus passing grade. He's improved his accuracy up from 53% to 64. His uncatchable inaccurate percentage has been lowered from 23 down to 17. His big time throw rate, the same and his turnover worthy play rate went down. Like everything is great. Their offense fifth in EPA added per play. Their defense fourth in EPA per play. Only the Bills and the Jags are in the top five of EPA per play and in EPA per play against. They've looked good there. Robinson, he had a 50-yard touchdown run last week. He's now had touchdown runs of 22, 37, and 50 yards in one of those in each game. Four first downs, 46 yards after contact, three explosive runs or 10 yards or more. And he did this against the Chargers run defense that grades pretty well against the run. But keep in mind, they played a Chargers team last week that was really, really banged up. Josh Allen, 39 pass rush snaps. This is defense, Josh Allen. He had 10 pressures. It was the first time in his career, double-digit pressures, 30% pass rush win rate, six hurries, four quarterback hits. But the offensive line, they played well too. They didn't give up a sack. They're ranked 13th in PFS pass blocking grade. They've won their last two games 62 to 10, but they did get a little turnover luck, Eric. There was a ball that went right through a receiver's hands that became a Jacksonville turnover, then a strip sack of a banged up Herbert. The defense did only allow the Chargers to score on two drives all afternoon. Devin Lloyd, seven tackles, three passes defended, an interception. First Jags player to record two interceptions in their first three career games. First linebacker in the NFL to do so since 2015. So while they've looked good, They played against Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, and a very banged-up Justin Herbert. So I don't know if I can get all that excited. They're just the second team in NFL history to win back-to-back games by 24 or more in in which they were an underdog. Um, I look at it like this. A, the main thing that sticks out to me is anyone that says, like, the coach-player relationship doesn't matter is just watch the Jaguars team. Yeah. This is a completely different team. You can tell how much they love Doug Peterson and how much they will go to battle for him. Peterson, you know, I know it's been a while since he's been there, but he's still very familiar with all these all these players and everything. Great matchup in the trenches. You know, Jags are only giving up 55 yards per game rushing the ball. Uh, are the Eagles going to be able to establish that rushing that rushing game and everything. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this game. But I'll be honest, I have the Eagles at 30 to 1 to win it all. I have the Jags, it's either 14 or 15 to 1 to win the AFC South. There's no point in me getting involved. You don't really need to play in this game. I, 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 I have other stuff I like, but I'm going to be interested to see. Like, this is like the true thing. The Eagles' legit running game are, are is this 
Jags defense going to be stout against the run like they have against the other three teams? Because this is kind of like the quote unquote big boy test. Yeah, I I don't know if I'm going to play it because I just I rarely play games like this, but at under seven, I think Philadelphia sort of puffs their chest out a little bit in this game and and says you're not quite here yet, Jacksonville. I do think Jacksonville is is very solid. I think they'll have a good year, and I think they have a very legitimate shot of winning that division with what we've seen from the rest of the teams there. But, I mean, this Eagles team is is really good right now. Hurts has shown improvement in accuracy. He's up from 61 completion percentage last year, 67 this year. 9.4 yards per attempt. That leads all passers in the NFL. He's the first player since 1950 with at least 900 passing yards and 100 rushing yards through three games. And now you look at what they did last week with Devontae Smith. He had an eight-catch, 169-yard game on 12 targets. He makes a couple awesome catches. And he's going to get one-on-one because what else do you do? You have to guard him one-on-one because you have to pay attention to A.J. Brown. And then you have to give their run... You have to bait, like pay a lot of attention to Hurts and their running game. So you can't, you know, play soft or else they'll just attack you and pick up eight, 10 over and over and gash you there. If you don't focus on Brown, Smith will get you. If you just take those two guys out, there's someone like Goddard who's certainly capable and not bad. Banged up. Goddard's a little banged up. Okay. Injury report. You mentioned Devontae Smith. One, one thing we need to like monitor is whoever's been guarded by Benjamin St. Juice of the Commanders had the last the first three weeks to start the year has been wide receiver one in DBA. DBA. Okay, that's a great thing. To, so, to, to I mean, like, forward. That's, that's something you like, we kind of have to monitor what, you know, because he was the guy guarding Devontae Smith. So we got to, we got to watch that. But you're right. You know, AJ Brown does take coverage away from Gowder, take coverage away from Devontae Smith. Hertz looks great. He's running the ball. He's he's reading the field. Um, part of me looks at it like this. I look at the Jags as a playoff team. I do too. And you're giving a playoff team seven points. Um, any, I don't know. Like for me, you know, I, like I, I said, I'm not playing it. I, if I was going to play this game, I would play like an Eagles adjusted line at double digits and just think they blow them out and I can play it higher. Like if I'm ever going to play a big number like this, I would just rather play adjusted lines that I can get for better odds. Like I would bump it up to 10. And if I think a team is going to just crush another team, I want to get rewarded for really thinking that and not just win a regular game like this on, in a minus 110 situation at six and a half. But yeah, I mean, this team, they got up 24 nothing last week and they just cruised. They sacked Wentz nine times, three of the first five dropbacks, four times in the first quarter. And based on the Dave metrics which are the football outsiders they're like the dvoa metrics the preseason metrics uh the predictionary metrics they have the eagles with the easiest remaining schedule left this year so far as a team that's up three nothing um just six percent of their drives are ending in three and out that's the best rate in the league i see you making a face eric because uh, you and i are both watching the thursday night game as we're recording this right now and the Bengals had to settle for a field goal on what, like the- this is the thing that doesn't like, why does no one quarterback sneak? Like no. you should have quarterback sneak on third down. Um, I don't know. Like it just, it, it's just blowing my mind. Like if you, it's the more, the more I'm seeing with Zach Taylor, you know, 
you can have a good run sometimes too, but ah, the jury is definitely still out with, yeah, with like that was just brutal. Like just um, quarterback so and just call the day. I just blow my mind why these teams don't run it. Let's go to Chargers Texans. Now, what's difficult about this one is the Chargers are dealing with a lot of injuries in this game, and so this has moved to the Texan side. We're at Houston. Chargers are a five point favorite on the road, over under forty five in this one. The Chargers, I, I gotta say, if I was the owner of the Chargers and I saw Justin Herbert in the game last week down 28 in the fourth quarter, throwing passes, I might have walked down to the sideline and fired the coach right there who was doing that to my franchise quarterback. I don't understand. I know guys want to stay in. At that point of the game, you just tell them, hey, look, dude, we're down. It's over. We need you next week. Your ribs are banged up. Look at everyone else. Right now, they've had injuries with Bosa, Herbert, Allen, Jackson, Lindsey, their starting center, their left tackle, Slater. They're just really banged up right now. I mean, it's hard to gauge what this team is, Eric, because they're so hurt. And, you know, their defense allowed Jacksonville to score on seven of 11 drives. They gave up 413 yards, but we don't have a lot of their top tier talent playing on both sides of the ball right now. And there, you would at least think, okay, Keenan Allen hasn't been around. So Mike Williams is having awesome games, right? Nope. He had two bad games out of three so far. He's not getting targeted six (laughs) times on 45 passing attempts last week, a 13% target share, even without Keenan Allen, his a dot last week was 18.2 down the field, 18.2 yards. Last year, it was 11.6. You don't want to be up over 15 because then you're so far down the field that you're not going to get the ball enough. You want to be like, double digits where he was last year, 11 ish. That's, that's a good number for him. I just, I don't know if I can play this game because of all the variables on the Texan side. Pierce had 20 carries 66 of 80 yards after contact. He had five first downs and his first touchdown ever, but they do rank 30th in offensive DVOA. They've thrown for one touchdown in the last two weeks. And Brandon cooks has not seen more than four targets in the last two games, just single digit fantasy points. Talk to us about Chargers, Texans. You know, the Chargers, like you said, are banged up. Slater's out for the year, which is a huge loss for them. Uh, Center Lindsay, we don't know what's going on with Herbert. I look at it like this. Um, I don't want to get involved in any single side. There's no point in me being financially involved in this. But is this the game we finally see Eckler get going? Eckler on the year, 32 attempts, 82 yards, averaging a robust 2.5 yards per carry. Texans, 30th DVOA, defending them the run. They're giving up 202.3 yards per game on the season. The second most fantasy points per game to opposing running backs. You know, I don't know if there's there's props posted yet. A lot of these props, you know, we're, we're recording on um, Thursday night. Yeah, they come out Saturday or early a Sunday. Lot, a lot yeah. of them come out like Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon-ish. So I haven't seen any Eckler props. Maybe this is the game where like Eckler DFS. Yeah. Eckler's able to, you know, get it going a little bit. And it's gotta be a Mike Williams game too. Like it, I mean, Keenan Allen probably coming back though. Yeah. He's both. I mean, 54 and a half, 54 and a half. I'm looking on bet stamp right now where you can kind of see what the market has for Austin Eckler here. And that's Uh, for rushing yards. Just, just rushing yards. 
Okay. Just, just rushing yards. Maybe, excuse me, he does lead them in, in receptions. Maybe if you want to play like a, an adjusted thing, you could do that. But yeah, I just don't get like his lack of production. This has to be the, this, this has to be the Austin Eckler get right game. And I'm sorry, but the fantasy market, <coughs> because he has his own fantasy show, they don't talk any crap about him at all. Yeah. But he's been bad, and they haven't been giving him opportunities even at the goal line in the few times they've had. They haven't had a lot of goal line opportunities, but this feels like a get-right spot game for him. Remember when the Texans beat the Chargers last year, right? And that was what ended up being what kept him out of the playoffs, you know? Yeah. Um, Let's go to the Jets versus the Steelers. So we're looking at Pittsburgh as a three-point favorite here. Is this going to be Wilson back for the Jets? Wilson is back for the Jets. And you know what? I actually have a bet in this game. Okay. Tell us who you like here, Eric. Um, there, Like I said, there's certain coaches I absolutely love bet. Excuse me, betting. And Mike Tomlin's one of them. Tomlin, awful loss, 58% against the spread. Awful loss is a favorite, 58% against the spread. Um, you know, you look at Wilson as the um, as the quarterback. Wilson, 39% ATS. That's just every single game. He's 39% ATS every single game, <laughs> which is just awful. Um, and then you look at um, him as a dog. He is only 33%. ATS. And then you look at their coach. He's 35% ATS. Um, this team just doesn't cover Zach Wilson. He has this feels like a little disrespectful for Pitt, right? Yeah. It's like a tad disrespectful for Pitt. Like, I don't think Pitt is very good. I feel like they should be at four, four and a half point favorite in this game. Maybe like a little bit more than this against the Jets, right? Yep, a little bit more. You look at um, you know, Tomlin with extended rest. Um, I do believe he's like 60%. Um so three is your number here. Anything yeah, three yeah. or under, you're yeah, fine, but you wouldn't want to lay three and a half. No, anything under three, it dipped down to three. I jumped on it right away. You know, this will probably be one of our five plays too, because I like this one too. I just I, think I absolutely love it. I think there's great value here in Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh's getting insanely disrespected here. And I'll tell you what, Trubisky, he looked okay against the Browns. Browns are a decent team and he looked good. So yeah, I like him here. You know, give me the minus three. Let's move to Seattle versus Detroit. We have your Detroit Lions is a four-point favorite at home here playing the Seattle Seahawks. This one is uh, over under 48. Man, that was a bummer last week. Well, here's You're up the thing. Like, that game right there showed me that this is the same old Lions. Old Lions, man. And I don't understand how – okay, look. Fourth and one, you go for it. Okay, that's fine. You set the bar of going for it. Yep. Then you get a fourth and three, and you don't go for it. I don't care if you go for it or don't go for it, but you got to do the same thing. Consistent. There. You have to be consistent one way or the other. I would and rather you go for it, try to win the game. Me too. You know? Honestly, there were there were three decisions there. So it's fourth down and four late fourth in the three. game. Fourth and three. Fourth and three yeah. with a chance to get a first down and then you win the game. 
You can kick a field goal that would put you up by six, or you could punt it and force Minnesota to basically have to go the length of the field to kick a field goal to tie, touchdown to win. But of all three of the decisions, I think kicking a field goal is the last thing I would have picked. Yeah, because the field goal does nothing. You're still up one touch. You're still only up one score. You're up a field goal, but you're still up six only. They can beat you with a touchdown. And if you get it, obviously you win. If you punt it, you make them come the whole way down. But if you try to kick a 54-yard field goal with – it's a non-Justin Tucker-type kicker, then I don't like that decision. I really don't because – you just give them life immediately, and it was inconsistent with everything else that Campbell had been doing throughout. He was going for it all the time on fourth and two and fourth and three, all the time on fourth and short. And the reality of the situation is you blew a 10-point lead with seven minutes. 24 to 14 yeah. in the fourth quarter yeah. in a game where Justin Jefferson did nothing, and you shut him down completely, where Dalvin Cook got banged up and came out of the game. Yeah, it, uh, it was it's an inexcusable loss. Um, and look, and, I look at it like this: the line opened up at six and a half. Who? What? Why is this moved? Thoughts. Well, what? What? Who are the Lions to be laying this many points? What have the yeah. Lions done to be laying this many points? That was too many to start. And, but was there a reason why it moved well, down? Just it, sort of even, even the out. The thing is, is teams that have started off the season three and zero ATS are only forty percent against the spreading game in four. week four. Okay. So, I mean, I think this is it. You know, Seattle, you know, you look at it like this. You know, Detroit doesn't give up the most fantasy points per game to opposing running backs. They give up the most rushing yards per game to opposing quarterbacks. And this is just kind of a letdown spot. I mean, like. They played hard. Letdown spot. I know. Lions. Swift is bang up. Amon Ra got hurt and he looked like noticeably different after the injury. You know, and it's going to be interesting, like um, Williams. So how the offense kind of works is Smith gets him into the game. Smith gets Swift. Sorry. Swift gets him in the red zone. Williams gets the love. Now, if Swift doesn't play and it's Reynolds, does Reynolds do all the meet and greet? And will you know what I mean? Like, yeah. How do, how do these re- revolve? How does it split up the workload? Like the yeah. roles of the two of them entering the fourth quarter last week. They had scored a touchdown in 18 consecutive quarters, which was one shy of the NFL record. They scored on each of their first 11 possessions so far this year. That was the longest streak to start a season, excluding overtime in NFL history. Okuda lined up against Jefferson on 32 routes, allowed three catches for 14 yards. And they were in press coverage 68% of the time. That was like me on you, you know, um, Goff was eight for 13, 114 yards and a touchdown on play action. Like I'm fine with Goff. He's fine when you give him some time. Yeah. And looking good. I just, yeah. It's, it's, I agree. You don't want to lay, like, I think you win this game, but I, you want to lay more than a field goal, right? With, with Detroit right now. Like what are they, what, like why, why are they getting so much respect? respect? I know. You know, they got holes defensively. This team hasn't won anything. Um, yeah, total letdown from what I saw yesterday, last week, you know, I just, you know, just really low on, really low on my boys right now. Just really so you, low on my boys. You got I, Gino over on Seattle who made two I big wonder, I wonder what Gino Smith's rushing props are. Because the Lions. Two big time throws, four turnover worthy plays last, uh, last week. 
This year, he ranks 10th in DVOA for quarterbacks. Russ, last year, ranked 12th. And he has a better QBR this year than Russ did last year. Uh, There was one big 10-yard loss on a sack. It was 3rd and 8 from the Atlanta 28 at the 2-minute warning. That caused their win probability to go down 19%. And then on fourth down, he threw a bad pass that ended the game. Their offensive line allowed 12 pressures uh, across 46 pass blocking snaps. Yeah, I don't really have a strong opinion. I in, mean, uh, you know, that one. rushing prop is six and a half. Wow. If I had to bet anything, that would be the thing I did. Let's go to Titans versus Colts. So Colts are a three and a half point favorite here playing the Titans. Uh, Eric, I like the Titans in in this spot. Uh, I think they're still just getting a little bit undervalued in here. I don't know why the Colts are favored by more than a touchdown. Looking at the Colts last week, they beat Kansas City, so they were going to get some buzz off of that Kansas City win. That was a 1,000% a Kansas City loss. Kansas City was playing without their field goal kicker. They missed a field goal. They missed an extra point, and then they had to run a fake field goal, which was a dumb penalty, which was a dumb play. And they had to do all of that because of their kicking issues. Yeah, they and let's not forget Mahomes. Like this is something that no one is talking about. Everyone's talking about Mahomes and Bienemy getting into it at the end of the first half. First half, Mahomes is talking to Bienemy during, um, like, when they're off the field. Second half, who is he talking to? Reed Matt Nagy or Nagy? Okay, yeah. yeah. So I need mean, I. There's that issue going on. I think there's some issues internally going on with the Chiefs and everything. So you're right. The Colts back their way into the game, which is fine. You know, I had them at seven. You had them at plus five and a half. And I agree with you. The Titans are getting absolutely no love here. Variable 61% ATS as a dog last three seasons. Variable. What, what was that one? Give me that, give me that one one more time. Uh, Variable is 61% ATS as a dog. Last three seasons against Wright, he's 67% ATS. Last two seasons three and one ATS. So, I mean, he historically covers as a dog. He historically covers against right. Yep. Colts are only 30th DVOA as a team for football outsiders. The 32nd DVOA offense, 25th DVOA versus opposing running backs, you know, and you, you mentioned it. I saw, I watched a little bit of your guys' stuff earlier on BTV. They got Henry involved in the passing game. Five targets. That was great for him. Yep. He's 27th. Or five DVOA. catches yep. on six Taker's targets. Seventh DVOA defending the defending um, running backs as a wide receiver. I think they get Henry going out of the backfield. That's going to open up more stuff. And, you know, this Colts offensive line was supposed to be one of the best offensive lines in the in the game. And their tackles are struggling. They got, um, he got sacked five times. He got hit 10 times last week, Matt Ryan. He fumbled two more times. He has seven fumbles this year. He's leading the league in fumbles. Last year, the most fumbles he's ever had in a year was 12. Or the most fumbles he's ever had in a year was 12. He's already got seven this year in three games. Yep, offensive line is struggling. And I'm sad to say, like, ever since the, uh, the tragedy that happened with Kelly and his wife off the field, his play has just like dropped down and you hate to see that. And the tackles, you know, they, they got some young kids in there. They're struggling. I'm not a big Matt Ryan guy. Um, I, I think this is a great spot for the Titans. I think the Me Titans too. are kind of getting a little bit overlooked. 
Yep. I locked them in at three and a half. Me too. I already higher. locked this one in and I'm going to place the money line on them also. Higher, yep. um, I'm all in on. The only touchdown that they came before the that they scored before the game winner came after a fumble on a muff punt where they got the ball inside the five. And their game winning touchdown came after a sack forced a fourth and 15. No team was able to drive the length of the field. They're 24th in EPA per early down last week. They've been outscored 61 to 16 in the first three quarters of games so far this year. They're just getting crushed. They scored a touchdown when Casey turned the ball over. They were the beneficiary of a missed extra point, a field goal, that terrible fake field goal. Then they get a free first down after a third and long on a fourth quarter sack. That was a personal foul call. That was not a personal foul. It was an awful call that basically gave them the game. Kelsey dropped what would have been a touchdown that would have put Kansas City up by two scores that helped Indianapolis come back and win that game. Jonathan Taylor ranks 17th in success rate. And now he's dealing with a toe, right? Yeah, he missed the first practice he's ever missed in his career uh, this this week. Uh, yeah, I don't like Frank Wright. I don't like the way he calls the game. No. I don't like anything that he brings to the table. Um, you know, I just, I don't know. I think this Colts team has a lot of issues. I don't think Shaq Leonard plays, which is a big hole defensively for him. And they just, these are the games, like, they just haven't been able to beat this Titans team. Yeah. Even when they've had better, like, really, like, teams that looked really good, they were playing well last year in a good stretch, and they couldn't beat the Titans. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like, I'm definitely going to, I I like my Titans bet, and I'm just going to hop in. We're on the Titans here at plus the three and a half. Um, As you mentioned, Henry ran for over four yards per carry for the first time this year, and they were able to run the ball. So then they were able to use play action. They used play action on 50% of the dropbacks last week, and they only could do it 35% weeks one and two. So just run the ball early, establish that run with the big man, get him a couple looks like you did out of the backfield with some passes. Cause then that sort of, that makes you bite a little bit more on the play action, right? When you actually get him involved with the pass or two here and there. So let's move along. Washington, Dallas, Eric, we have the Dallas Cowboys as a three-point favorite. Is it still going to be Rush this weekend? Yep. Still Rush playing Washington over-under in this game, 41-and-a-half. Washington last week had negative 18 yards passing in the first half, 56 total yards of offense to the Lions in week two in the first half. They got sacked nine times and had two strip sack fumbles. Uh, They are bottom five in both offense and defensive DVOA. But the Cowboys, though, they're number six DVOA. Cooper Rush, he's currently eighth in passing DVOA. Their offense is 15th because they had that bad week one. But in the last two weeks, their offense would be ranked number six. And their defense is currently ranked eighth. What it feels like for Dallas is a lot of the rest of the guys on the team have sort of stepped up and played really well the last couple weeks when Dak went down just to raise their level. I don't know if they could do this throughout the rest of the year, but they've played pretty well in back-to-back weeks. And they, you know, they picked up two wins that on paper they may have thought were two losses with Cooper Rush starting. I'll tell you what, Cooper Rush looked great. He made some NFL quarterback level throws. Good job managing the game. Uh, but the way the Cowboys defense is, you know, playing, it's hard to trust that the commanders are going to be able to block anything. Um, but, you know, I just, 
to me, I look at it like this. This is the ultimate buy spot. Low on the Washingtons. They're looked awful the last two. This is absolutely something I have. Anything over three. So at three and a half, you jump in on them. Anything over three. You know, I'm just, I'm sitting back and I'm praying it doesn't get to three and a half. So that way I don't have to. You don't have to bite it. You don't want to be rooting for Wentz here, but you may have to be. I know this. I, I agree with you. This feels like one where I don't think we'll need to make it one of our five, but if we had to, I wouldn't have a problem with Washington at three or over, but I, I definitely want the the three and a half. Um, big, let's big high and T right there for the Bengals, man. Big. Oh eye. yeah. Bengals are up by five with three minutes to go as we were watching this game live 20 to 15. And uh, so they're in, in shape to cover right now. If they can run the clock out here, what I didn't see. So what happened to Tua? Just a little tangent. Um, he just, he got sacked and he just hit hard on the sack head, head hit hard on the ground. Okay. I didn't see really well. Okay. You know, he got some weird thing going on with his hands. You just hope he's okay. You know, cause you hate to see that. Especially when he's playing well right now, we've critiqued him a lot, but this is the best stretch of his career right now. So you'd, you'd like to see him get a shot. You know, people, unless they're Baker Mayfield. get hurt. (laughs) Well, let's talk about Baker next up and the Carolina Panthers and Arizona. I'm doing it, Eric. I'm going back to him one more time this week. Oh. I'm going. I'm going back to. Uh, all right, all right. All right. So, going, I, I I got numbers for you, man. I got numbers for you. Talk to us. So, do you know who one of the worst coaches in the history since 2002 is against the spread as a favorite? Matt, it's got to be Matt Rule. 23% ATS as a favorite. Your boy now. Pitt. Now, here's what I will say. It obviously matters. At this number, I'm taking this game as a pick'em. Okay. At, it's basically like a one, one and a half. But everything you're saying is absolutely relevant. They still are favored in this game. But I would not play Carolina at. I probably wouldn't even want to play them at like two and a half. Two and eh, at like where they are right now, where it's been like one, one and a half or so. I think they're going to win this game. But give us some more of a, of your numbers. I got. I I locked them in at two. You look at, at Carolina. Like, yep. Carolina okay. to you look at Mayfield Mayfield 11 and 22 ATS as a favorite that is 33 so wait you you locked in Arizona I locked in Arizona excuse me okay this will be the one game um, one of the few that we go head up against each other keep you, going though you look at um Kingsbury 68 percent ATS as a dog Kyler 65 ATS as a dog these guys, for whatever reason, they just cover, especially when they're on the road. These guys actually do a better job covering the spreads on the road. I'm not high on this Carolina team. They're 27th DVOA defending the tight end. Zach Ertz is going to be able to eat against this linebacker core. He has an 18.1% target share, which is second in the team. I think he has great value in D- DFS. I think he's going to eat in his props. You can lock in his props. And if you just kind of like look at the look at the Carolina Panthers defense, Baker Mayfield has the lowest completion percentage in a at what at, what's the term? clean pocket. So when you're not pressuring him, he is struggling. Offense 25th DVOA, 30th DVOA passing. They are ninth in rushing, but Guess who didn't practice today? Back-to-back days, a couple days this week, McCaffrey. Yeah, so he's banged up. I just don't trust Carolina. I don't trust their coaching staff. I don't trust Mayfield. Um, I, I, I don't disagree with Arizona, anything. 
Arizona played good. Arizona was right in it. They should have covered the game against the um, against the Rams. They just couldn't. You know what I mean? They kept settling for threes and not being able to punch it in the end zone. They've looked better as the season has progressed. I like Arizona here. I lock them in the two. There's not many times where we've sort of been on the opposite side. And it's not even that I like the Panthers that much in this spot, but I think the the of all of the units on these teams, the one that I trust the most is the Panthers defense. I actually think that they're probably the safest of all of these. Um, you know, this is going to be the the DJ Moore game in DFS. Uh DJ Moore last week, one catch for two yards. Baker cannot get him the ball. He was covered by Lattimore, though. Last week, he faced a lot of shadow coverage. This week, they're facing Arizona. Arizona is ranked 30th in defensive passing DVOA through three games. All of their secondary individually have ranked poor in coverage grades through three weeks. Their three corners and their two safeties that have qualified, they have grades of 55 or less. Pro Football Focus has them ranked dead last by a wide margin in team coverage grade. So that tells me, if there's anything at all left in there for Baker, because I'm not saying he's been good. He's graded 32 out of 33 quarterbacks in passing grade that have taken the minimum requirement of 20% of the dropbacks. He's been miserable, but if there's ever a spot for him to get in a little bit of a rhythm with a couple of these guys, it's against this awful Arizona secondary. So I'm looking at DJ more props. I'm looking at some DFS for him because he's coming off of a brutal week. I don't think he's going to be heavily owned. The uh, second-year cornerback, uh, Horn, only targeted twice in coverage, didn't allow a catch, and he had an interception. Uh, they don't even throw his way anymore because he's just been awesome. And the offensive line, they were a little bit better. Five total pressures across 29 pass plays. Um, on Arizona side, Kyler and Brown were very good last week, Eric. Uh, Brown had 45% of the... Uh, the yardage there of the 314 that Kyler threw for 14 catches on 17 targets. Their offensive line was actually pretty decent. They uh, allowed just seven pressures against the Rams on 54 pass blocking snaps. They just couldn't get much pressure um, themselves. They have, and their run game is awful. Their team run blocking grade is really, really bad. They've been outscored 31 to zero in first quarters and 56 to 10 in the first half. They had 22 yards and 13 yards. Uh, they, they had 22 yards and 13 plays in their first four drives of the game. But you were absolutely correct, Eric. They did start to, it was sort of garbage timey, but then this is what happens. You get some garbage time and, that, and then you kind of figure some things out. And then you sort of start moving the ball well, which they did. Their final five drives, they had 19 plays, 8-play drive, 16-play drive, 12 plays, and 17 plays. But in all of those five drives, in all of those plays, they got four field goals and a turnover on downs in all of that. Um, they're not really attempting a whole lot down the field, just two passes of 20-plus air yards. Okay, Eric, you, uh, we got a shot bet on this one. A beer and a beer or a shot. Uh, Panthers, Cardinals. You're on the uh, Cardinal side. I'm on the Panthers side here. Anything else you want to mention on this one? Um, you know, let's go, Cliff. There, Cliff. That this is what I was gonna. These two are two of my least favorite coaches in the and league I mean, to bet on. Like, They're both just bad. You got rural leaving to go interview at college jobs during. I the know. Day. There's just no good vibe at all. With that, 
whatsoever. None. Now uh, we go to Denver versus the Raiders. So we're seeing the Raiders as a two and a half point favorite. They're the final 0-3 team in the league right now. The Raiders through three weeks, Derek Carr, 26th uh, quarterback on overall grade based on pro football focus. Chandler Jones, just seven total pressures through three games, zero sacks. Adams has only caught half of the passes targeted through three games, 34 targets. He does have three touchdowns, but they haven't really connected, even though he has a touchdown pass in 12 straight games as a college and NFL teammate. He hasn't really been Adams. These are things that you were kind of pointing out. They paid a bunch of money to get Adams. They extended Renfro, extended Waller. They're 19th in passing DVOA, and their leading receiver is Mac Hollins. He leads them in receiving yards. Before last week, he had never had a game with more than 75 yards. He caught 8 of 10 targets for 158 yards and a touchdown. He had three explosive catches, two contested catches that resulted in a first down. Talk to us a little bit about this game. Raiders favored at home against the Broncos. Uh, last four years, teams 3-0 and ATS to start the season, 69% ATS. Last five years, teams that started 0-3 to start the season, 67% ATS. Last six years, teams that started 0-3 ATS. Game four, 71%. Um, this spot just screams Raiders. You know, you have Josh McDaniels already coaching for his job, already having locked door meetings with, with uh, Davis. Broncos offense, you know, is is struggling. Their defense, you know, playing well, but they have been struggling to cover the tight end. They saw O.J. Howard the first game have two TDs, just absolutely. Um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't the Raiders. I'm sorry. I'm speed. Zach Ertz had a good game against them. Who did the Raiders play the first game? I'm totally spacing. Um, but yeah, they've struggled. They've struggled. They got to get um, Adams. The um, they got to get Adams the targets. You know, you look at him. Twelve targets the first game, 141 yards. Last two games, he's only had 17 combined targets. They got to start looking his way. Got to look to Waller. Got to run the ball. I absolutely love the Raiders here in a must win. And historical data shows that this is the spot to back them. Another one where we're slightly against each other. I think the Raiders are about to go bottom up and crater. There were some funny stories being told today on social media that I, I wanted to read a couple of these because I, I thought they were great. And these are the kind of things that you you always um, mention on the show that I, I love little like stories like this. So this was from one of the former players of Josh uh, McDaniels, Tyler Columbus. He says, uh, in honors of, of Raiders week, I present some stories about uh, my favorite hurricane, Josh McDaniels says. So after trading away the young nucleus of our offense, including Jay Cutler, he said to the entire team, fellas, don't worry about the quarterback situation. I can turn a high school quarterback into an all pro after completing training camp with fully padded two days, as often as was legal, he hyped up a special reward after practice and he was making it a really big deal. It was an ice cream truck. And a t-shirt that said Iron Man. Our reward was ice cream. Thanks for the creamsicle. I'm reading from Tyler Plumbus's thread. It said every day began with a 10-minute bad football reel from the day before. Where he would dog cuss you and your coach for any bad play from yesterday. Like, how do you set the tone for a positive new day when you're blasting everybody what they did the day before? Right before you even start. I, I'm like dying reading this thread. So they had about 25 slogans painted on the walls. If you forgot the slogan, he would call you out and ask you what each slogan said. 
if you forgot one word of them, he's grilling you. He said in the exit interview after the season, he spent 10 minutes telling me everything I sucked at. But he looked so depressed and miserable. When he was done, I said, Coach, are you okay? He said, man, this is a hard guy to work for. He said, I'm not coming back, no way. Um, these are just a few things that he said, and he's going to keep going. But I, I don't think – I, I read it like this. Like, that's his first job. And hopefully he's learned and, a little bit since and then. he's trying right? to be like a Belichick junior. You know yeah. what I mean? Everything, and just, everything you're saying there just kind of screams like Belichickianess. I know. And that doesn't that doesn't work anymore nowadays. Oh, like you have to be a Bel- – a few people can pull that off. Yeah, there's a handful of people that could throw it off. You know, I just – I don't know. So I just – My only and, – and I'm not that high on Denver, but I do think that the best we've seen Denver look – was on the final drive of that last game. 12 plays, 80 yards against the 49ers D, which is a good defense, to win the game. It was their first time they looked okay. They combined for 50 yards of offense on their other six second-half possessions. And they brought in Roseburg, Rosberg, who they'd never even met to help them be a consultant. And you know what? They got a victory. But why is El- Melvin Gordon getting 18 touches 12 carries for 26 yards while our, our guy Javante, they're literally splitting this stat. You'll like, so they're based on um, next gen stats. There have been seven calls that the Broncos have had this year where it was like a fourth down and a decision where you had to make, it was like fourth down and short. Do you go for it? Do you kick? Do you punt? What, whatever the decision is, they've made the right decision based on the percentages one out of seven times. In those situations. And wow. like those are in close games. Like that's when you you need to make the right call. What I did like was Sutton starting to look like a number one. He was targeted 10 times, eight catches. He had two contested catches, a 30% target share. He has 49.7% of the team's intended air yards. That is, and uh, he's accounted for 47% of their air yards. That's second in the NFL. Studly cornerback Patrick Sertain was targeted five times. All five hit the ground. He forced two incompletions. He's now allowed only 45 yards on 14 targets this year. They're fifth in defensive DVOA. They're only uh, giving up 12 points per game. Uh, They're facing average number of drives. They're stopping defensive accurately, uh, efficiently. They punted 10 times though last week. They twice had a drive start at the 50-yard line and gained zero yards combined in those two possessions. They took four sacks. They only attempted one pass over 20 yards through the air. There's not a lot of great, but I just think their defense is dominant. I don't like what's happening with the Raiders, and I'm going to lean Denver in a game where they're a slight dog here and and play like a little Denver money line, and at two and a half, I'm going to sprinkle in a little bit. They uh, had nine three and outs. But the defense only allowed three points on the final 12 drives. Yeah, they definitely have identity, you know, with their defense. Uh, you mentioned Devontae Williams. This is going to blow your mind. Just looking at these splits, let's look at backfields that, that split carries. Uh, Dylan, this is in the red zone. Dylan, 54.5%. Aaron Jones, 45.5%. Hunt, 47.8%. Nick Chubb, 43.5%. Uh, Akers Henderson 54 and a half to 45 and a half. 
So, you know, everything's like within 10%. You know what I mean? Nothing like crazy, okay? Can you guess what the Gordon Javante Williams red zone carry splits are? It's got to be like 65-35. You're close. 66.7. Oh, my gosh. 33.4. That is just ridiculous. That is just absolutely Why? positively insane. It makes absolutely zero sense what you are trying to do and why. So I don't know. You know, it's just, it, it's, it is what it is. Um, let's, let's continue along. We go to Patriots Packers here. Packers nine and a half point favorites over under in this game, 40 and a half. Did I hear something that Mac Jones is going to try to play? That's the thing. Like, He's got a high ankle sprain. Belichick wants him to play. He doesn't want to play. They're having this little bickering thing back and forth. And I just, I don't know. I, I look at it like this. Um, You know, I'm looking at the stats and everything. I'm sorry. I messed up my note order. Um, Packers are bad against the run, man. They are really, really bad against the run. And the Patriots are the number one DVOA team running the ball. Even if you have Brian Hoyer back there, he's a pro. He they This is going to be a heavy running game, I feel, no matter who plays. They're going to shrink. They're going to shrink the possessions. And I'm I'm sitting out, but if my boy Zappy comes in from Western Kentucky who set all those um, records there, if he comes in, I think the Patriots are a good live bet. I took the um, – uh, whatchamacallit – the Packers and Survivor, and I kind of hate it that I did it that way. But you know, I I don't know. I I don't. The only way I could see them covering this game is that they just milk the clock and run it. But I'm not betting the game. I'll look at some Damian Harris props just because last week was a Steven. I'm um, looking at it for the year. You know, Damian Harris does lead them in red zone carries at 40. percent Ramad Stevenson is 20. percent so I think it's only a matter of time before it kind of like backs out. And this is a Damian Harrison week. So I'd lean to him and DFS, anything else. This is just a pass for me. Uh, I was talking to you for like a second, realizing that I'm on mute here. So it's oh. like a, the biggest rookie move of all time as uh yeah, I, I, I don't want much to do with this game individually. You know, uh, Dobbs, is, he's the buzzy guy, right? A lot of people will jump on Dobbs this week after his big week last week. He had a great week and, they had a great start to the game. Rodgers was 12 of 13 to start. He led them on scoring drives of 10 and 12 plays. They took a 14-3 lead. Then they couldn't do much. They averaged just 4.7 air yards per attempt. Aaron Rodgers is this year. That's the fewest per attempt in uh, in a game for him since 2016 last week. His fewest passing yards per game this year at 228. That's the lowest number in his career. This is like a different style team. They're a defensive team. They want to lean on their two good running backs, Eric. They're not going to try to beat you up and down the field because they don't have the receivers to do that anymore. Let's move just a couple of games left to discuss. Let's talk Kansas City and Tampa in here. So this one is going to be in Tampa, right? They were talking about moving the game around because of the hurricane but and maybe playing in Minnesota, but I do think I've heard recently that it looks like it's going to be in Tampa. And – um we're, we're seeing the buck. Basically, this is a pick them, right? Where we are right now, over under 45 and a half. So you pick them. Um, you know, I, I look at it like this. Brady, 80% as a home dog. He did open up getting one and a half. Um, as a 3 p.m. Three, he's perfect against the spread as a pick them to a three-point dog. Um, 
Chiefs, like I said, I really think that they have some issues going on internally with Mahomes and Nagy and Bietemi. I think there's some stuff going on there. Offense, as soon as they get in the five-yard line, it's like a circus. They're running like tight end draws, tight end jump passes, you know, tight end See, I'm not passes. as worried as you are overall. I think the spot was just a really good spot last week for the Colts, which we were on. And then I think that that I think the field goal kicker, the Butker stuff is really screwing with them more than you would think for a team who's got such a good offense and a guy like Mahomes, you wouldn't think missing a field goal kicker would be that big a deal. But like, you're right. They've been getting really too cute with stuff. Yep. They, I, I look, I just don't like what I see Tampa Bay. Their defense has been playing lights out in terms of total fantasy points scored. Do you know where they rank on the year? Just their defense. Got to be what one got to be at the top. Well, overall, they're the best. Oh, how, how, yeah. But in terms of every single position. No, where, where are they? 50. Wow. 50. For I mean, this a defense. defense. This defense is playing lights out. Um, I think the Chiefs got some internal issues, but, um, you know, if you just like, I don't know, like you, you look at it, they really didn't look that good against the Chargers. It was a 99 yard touchdown. INT that kind of sealed that game for them. They played the Cardinals in week one. Cardinals basically had a practice squad out there. So, like I said, I just, there's just some stuff I don't trust about this Chiefs thing. To me, it's Brady or nothing here. Or, of course, the props aren't out yet. The Chiefs give up the most receptions per game to opposing running backs so i definitely think as soon as the leonard fournette props come out i think there's value on his um receiving props i'm i'm trying to pull it up i've been looking for it all day you know they they only have rushing his rushing prop is at 65 and a half but i'm looking at total receptions for leonard fournette so this is one of we've got a couple where we're on the slightly opposite sides here I th- I got to find out though with the receiver stuff for Tampa. Like Evans is going to come back. That'll help them a lot. But they were playing without their top three wide receivers, and you could really see like they are. They have been really banged up. They had two drops. Many other instances where they weren't on the same page. They were two of eleven on third down, and then they drive down to possibly tie the game. They need a two point conversion, and they got a penalty. So they have to run it from the seven yard line instead. It's like, are you kidding me? They rank, they can't run the ball. They rank just 26th in rushing DVOA. Uh, you were mentioning some of the Brady stuff. 13th time he was a home underdog. He was nine and three straight up and 11 and one ATS. That was the best cover percentage as a home underdog going back to 2000. They have played the easiest schedule of passing offenses so far. That won't be the case here. They've played the second easiest schedule of offenses. Overall, so if you think about who they played, like we were saying, passing wise, the Packers aren't really a great passing offense anymore. They played a Saints team with a banged up Jameis, and they played Dak that got hurt in the Cowboys in Week One. So they haven't really played juggernauts as far as passing is concerned. This will probably be the, their toughest opponent there. They're not really getting a whole lot of pressure on the quarterback. They're getting pressure at the second lowest rate through the first three quarters of games. They are one of two teams in the league without a first-half touchdown. I'm going to keep an eye on their offensive lineman, Smith. If he doesn't go, they might be on their third-string left tackle, because they are, and they're already on a backup center 
and a rookie left guard. So I'm not worried about them long-term, but if their offensive line is still having issues and if they can't get back either a Godwin or a, or a Jones, like at least one of them out there, I'm, I'm looking at some of the things that happened for the chiefs. And I wonder if they win that game last week, are they a couple point favorite in here? Or is it a little bit different? You know, they had the rookie drop the punt less than a minute into the game. Colts take over on the four. That cost them seven. They missed an extra point. They missed a 34-yard field goal. Fourth and 11, they call for a punter to throw to a backup tight end and a fake field goal attempt. Late in the game, Kelsey drops a touchdown pass. That would have put them up two scores. I don't think they're going to be a 14-15 win team or anything like that. I think they're okay. I'm leaning... Chiefs in this one. So we have a couple games this week where we're on slightly different sides. Let's finish up here, Eric, with the Rams and the 49ers. So this is Monday Night Football. We have the 49ers. Jimmy G is currently ranked 32nd in passing grade by Pro Football Focus. Last week, he was number 30 by that particular week. He had two turnover-worthy plays, one big-time throw. She stepped out of balance in the back of the end zone with both feet. On the team's first two third-quarter possessions, he lost a fumble, and then he stepped out of bounds. They only had 27 yards on the final two drives, and he threw his first interception. They were 1-for-10, and now the problem with the 49ers is the Williams injury. Trent Williams is a stud offensive lineman. Jimmy G was pressured 12.2% of the time when Williams was playing. After Williams got hurt, 21.4% of dropbacks he got pressured, almost doubling. Now, this defense is excellent for San Francisco. They're number three in defensive DVOA. They they were only allowing 12.3 points per game, although one of those games was a rainy Chicago Bears game. But they held Denver to eight drives of 10 yards or less. Shanahan won both regular season games last year, and he has won six straight against the Rams in the regular season. Remember, they did lose the playoff game there. On the Rammy side, they spread it around last week. They didn't get it to cup all that much. It was the first time Stafford has won without throwing a touchdown since 2018. Akers was much more involved in the running game, Eric. He had 12 carries for 61 yards, only five touches for Henderson. They split snaps, but Henderson was almost all in pass catching. They they had to settle for field goals as well as forcing Arizona to settle for field goals. They had a couple three and outs in the second and third quarter. Then they had a fumble in the fourth quarter at the goal line when they had a chance to put Arizona away. They haven't looked like they've been humming. They got a little Super Bowl hangover thing here going too. Cooper Cup only had two uh, four catches last week, but he was excellent against San Fran last year. 240 yards and a touchdown in two games. Aaron Donald, one of 11 players in NFL history with 100-plus sacks in their first nine seasons. And I think one of only two that primarily played inside He leads the NFL in sacks, quarterback hits, and tackles for loss uh, since he entered the league in 2014. The the Rams won a game where they only had 15 total first downs. They were outgained in total yards, but the defense did come up with some big third-down stops to keep the Cardinals out of the end zone all game. Talk to us, Rams, 49ers. I mean, the big thing is Trent Williams is out. Um, best left tackle in the game. He's going to be anchoring it there. He was able to carry a lot of the stuff with him not there and Jimmy G not being fleet of foot. I think the Rams, you mentioned their pass rush. You mentioned Aaron Donald. Uh, he's going to be able to get home. Wagner's going to be able to get home. Leonard Floyd's going to be able to get home, make Jimmy G a little bit uncomfortable. Um, you know, and then you mentioned, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan. 
37.7% ATS is a favorite, 36% ATS is a home favorite, and McVay's 72% as a road dog. I know historically um, Shanahan has kind of owed him, but I think kind of the spot and the, then the situation that the um, um, the 49ers are in having some offensive line issues. It's a perfect but, matchup for yeah. – for the Rams right now, right? Having to deal with Donald and that. Yeah, I think it's an absolute um like great spot, an absolute hammer spot to kind of, you know, take the um excuse me, take the uh take the Rams. I actually locked him in here at one and a half. I and love And you it. can get a plus one oh five on the money line there. Um if you want to bump it a little so like that, I think that makes it pretty easy for us because we can go Saints plus three. Uh, Ravens plus three, Steelers minus three, Titans plus three and a half, and Rams minus one and a half. Yep, that sounds good to me. Those are our five games for the week. Eric, my friend, I know you have a busy weekend coming up. Thanks so much for hanging out. Uh, you do each and every week for each and every game. This week, we will have a Friday college football show over at Better Than Vegas. And then Saturday we'll be there on Saturday morning or Sunday morning, excuse me, 11 o'clock AM Eastern time. Hopefully don't worry if you can't make it there on Sunday, 11 AM Eastern time. You mentioned um, Cooper, Uh, even though he like, he leads them in receptions in the red zone, him and Robinson have been targeted the same amount inside the red zone. So I think that's kind of big to what the Rams like to do. They like, like, you know what I mean? They're not just targeting Cooper Cup. The offense started looking the best when Odell Beckham did come in there and he was able to give them another another receiving threat. So I do, I don't know. I think this offense is just going to kind of, when they figure out their offensive line, when Akers gets back into the mix and they have that two true two-headed running monster, I think this offense is going to continue to get better and get in the right direction. So, yeah. I um I like him here, and you know what? I'll be there bright and early. Maybe a little, maybe a little bedhead, but I'll I'll be there Sunday morning. Beautiful. Well, tell us uh, uh everything else you've got coming up this week. Did you, did you do a podcast still, or did you take it off with this week? Uh, you know what? I hope to get the podcast going. Um, you know, hope to get the podcast up. My boy David's gonna come on. Uh, David and I are gonna talk. He's gonna give. We're gonna talk. We have. We're going to be giving out our best bet for the NFL weekend. I'll be giving out mine. He'll be giving out his. Jim breaks down CFL. My boy um, Brandon talks some NASCAR. He gave out a 14-1 to winner last week. And, um, yeah, so, you know, hopefully we can keep it going and uh, make some money. And then my live stream is every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. And uh, David's the guest there. David is – Hands down, one of the best baseball cappers there is. The nice. best stuff this guy has. Is so playoffs next week. Ab- yep, absolutely. The math, the analytics stuff this guy brings to the table is just absolutely insane. So him and I will be talking MLB, and then we'll, talk and we'll be talking a little NFL, of course. We uh, look forward to talking some football with all of you coming up this weekend. Eric, buddy, thank you so much and have a good time, man. That's going to be a blast. So be careful, be safe, have fun. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the next couple of days. I look forward to it too, man. Talk soon.
Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us. If you're listening on the podcast, we have a lot more coming up. If you're watching on social media, we'll have these videos every week so we can show you the lines as we go through each of the games and check out the the point spreads over at Betfred Sports. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone. Cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next. And then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Every Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, this weekend in Stable Duel. Myself, Matt DeSantis, Barry the Sniper, Spears, we all dish out our best bets for the weekend. So for the next, you know, 
month or so It'll be Santa Anita every weekend We'll be giving out best bets for Friday and for Saturday We'll talk all about the stable duel contest That you can get entered in Give you the details on those And Keeneland will be coming up soon We'll be talking a lot about that So, And in this show We only give out 5 to 1 And above horses Let's talk about the schedule coming up Friday, Gulfstream Park Delaware has a free ride Hawthorne, Santa Anita All have games for Friday Opening day Santa Anita Then on Saturday, Stable Duel takes on Foxfield Races There's a free game, a steeplechase game With $2,500 in prizes It doesn't cost you anything to enter New style of racing for you to try out Jump races Don't worry if you don't know anything about it Stable Duel has a little primer to help get you A little bit more up to date And what you might be looking for Foxfield Racing and Stable Duel announced this contest partnership Foxfield Racing conducts the races One of Central Virginia's signature steeplechase events And they've named Stable Duel the, To be the exclusive contest provider For the fall meeting Sunday the October the 2nd So free to play contest You can download Stable Duel On your iOS and Android mobiles So this gives fans of Steeplechase The chance to dive in for real cash prizes Create your stable We'll talk more about this on Friday morning Come hang out, myself, Matt DeSantis I don't think Barry will be joining us this week Because he's dealing with some of that weather That I think a lot of you are all dealing with So hopefully everyone is staying safe And thoughts and prayers And with everyone, hopefully um, It's it's really been rough out there for a lot of folks So um, we're uh, thinking about you Over here on the West Coast Now Moving to some of our Friday racing Let's talk a little bit about Woodbine Let's dive into an early pick 5 for Woodbine That starts in race number 2 Starts with a maiden $10,000 claiming race Going a mile on the turf I'm looking at the 8 and the 9 Setabello, third off the long, long layoff Gets back to the turf And is at this low level on the turf And then you have the 9 Williams cause If you put a line through the January race That was the one that sent him to the long layoff Look at the turf race in December At Fairgrounds That was really good He needed the September 4th race I'm going to use the 8-9 in race number 2 Then in race number 3 At Woodbine I'm looking at the 2-3 and 4 Epilogue's the one to beat Society Joe's intriguing Turning back a little bit The 4 War Giant gets the second start At Woodbine now after uh, not a bad performance just last week Moving to the fourth race I'll use the eight and the nine in here Again we go eight nine huh No nose little boy Comes off of a couple pretty solid efforts In tougher spots And when compared to the rest of this group Classy Whisper on the outside Also a player in here Getting back to the synthetic Eight nine for me Race number five Thought about singling Gal Wonder Returning to the turf But I'll probably end up using the six Amazon Queen And uh, the 5 she makes a point It'll probably be 1-5-6 for me in the pick 4 there Gal Wonder chased Lone Speed On July the 3rd That was her first start In 8, what, 9 months That was her first start in the US And she race she needed She had legitimate trouble And was chasing Lone Speed So I think it's a good spot for her getting back to the turf 1-6-5 And then in race number 6 at Woodbine Maiden, $40,000 Maidens in there I'm looking at the 4, Cerebro on the cutback 2, Raise a Profit Also looks like a player And then Uptown Lights, first time gelding On the drop 4, 2, and 8 For me, but Woodbine In that Friday, pick 5 
Good luck there. At Woodbine, you can play the early pick five for just 20 cents, and there's a $50,000 guaranteed pool. So always worth diving in and, and taking a look there. Friday opening day at Santa Anita. Let's head over to Santa Anita to take a look at some of the races for September the 30th. Look at race number one, the seven. The key is unity was interesting. So this is a maiden who took a shot against winners last time out. And I think it was just in a tough spot. It was his first start in a few months. I love the fact that he's putting a few starts together. You'll notice each of his races have been followed by a layoff. This is the first time he goes back to back. June 5th, he settled inside. That was against Maiden 50 Claimers. He was close up. He was in a little bit of traffic. He moved to the two-path. It was a pretty solid third. And then he, he faced winners last time out. I like the seven in there. He's 5-1 to one on the morning line. Anything around 7-2 to two will make a win wager. Second race, if you're playing pick fives or any early exotics, the one Crimson Rose was in tight, did have to take up and back out of it. I think they send hard from the inside. But I like the four never sway the most. Coming off a good start, they had to back out to last about five or six lengths off. They moved in between, traveling well, but in a tight spot. Kind of shifted to the inside and showed some good late energy for third. That's never sway. The third race, down the hill, Thought this was a 4, 5, 6, Sterling Crest, Freedom Flyer, Stella Noir, nothing too crazy. I'll try to beat Bulletproof 1 there. In the fourth race, the two camaraderies a little interesting to me. Cutting back on the dirt, he was tucked inside just behind the leader. And he tried a couple times to move through on the inside. He had to sort of stop and back up and kind of stop and back up and kind of stop and back up. And I like this cutback now for camaraderie. It's a difficult race though There's there's a lot of ways you can go So that's why I like looking at a price horse in a race like this That's contentious Obviously Conundrum and Buttkiss are going to take money And Party Town wouldn't shock But make sure to throw camaraderie on a pick 5 or 2 Fifth race Finley's Kitten Needed the race off the layoff Got a great trip though Moved nicely to the lead But should be a little more fit in this particular race Not Really a strong opinion in the sixth race all that much. I was trying to find someone to come from off the pace, but I couldn't really get all that excited about many of the prospects in there. In race number seven, another one where I just didn't love anyone. Uh, we'll move to the eighth. No, let's move to the ninth race. That's probably where I have another strong opinion. Where the one and the eight, I think, are nice uses in late exotic. So, New York Dreams, the outside runner, drew the widest, drew post 12 in that last start, was three deep into the turn, had to tuck in, was fifth, was about four off, moved up to challenge at the top of the lane within a length, and then flattened out. Now drops third off the bench. August 11th, first start in the U.S., broke inward, but recovered well, was sitting fourth. And was just a couple lengths off And ran up onto the heels Wanted to go, had a stop, was covered up Had absolutely nowhere to go It was a brutal trip And now New York Dreams drops And faces Maiden Claimers here It's a good spot for him The one National Genero Comes out of a race Where he was actually in front of New York Dreams On August the 13th And he was inside He was about three off And he backed up to 6th He moved off the rail He moved 5 wide at the top of the lane He moved up to within 2 before fading He ran well too So I'd use both of them in exotics But I'd play the outside horse, the 8 He's 12-1 to on the morning line Anything over 6 worthy of a win wager there Friday 
opening day at Santa Anita. We'll talk Friday and Saturday every week on That's What G Said. Some weeks we may have additional podcasts or we'll just have some videos. My selections will also be posted up on the Santa Anita website each and every day. So that's Santa Anita for Friday. Let's turn the page on over to Saturday. But before we do, let's talk about full-service realtor Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. Cindy can help you with buying, with selling, with leasing. She is a full-service realtor. Now, if you go to her website, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, you'll find all of her listings there, some of her former projects, and anything you need to get in touch with her. If you're just looking for a curiosity on how much your home is worth, she'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. She can connect you with lenders if you need help with uh, getting pre-approved for a loan. If you're looking for home improvement, she can connect you with vendors like painters, gardeners, landscapers, all sorts of great folks that she's worked with and has experience working with. Contact Cindy Carava for all of your real estate needs. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. Let's get into some Saturday racing. It's a good Saturday with opening weekend at Santa Anita and prep races for the Breeders' Cup at Belmont at the Big A at Churchill. So let's go to Belmont first. Let's take a look at race number seven. We've got the Woodward. It's the Life is Good prep race. So, I mean, I can't find a way to beat Life is Good in there. My old friend Law Professor shows up, so I always root him on. But let's move to the eighth race at at Belmont at the Big A on Saturday. The one Georgie Spirit inside... Stretching out from five and a half, there is not much other proven speed in here. I think she's going to get aggressive. Use Georgie Spirit in your exotics. If she's anything over six to one, I'm going to make a win wager on Georgie Spirit, the number one in race eight at Belmont at the Big A on Saturday. In the ninth race, it's the Belmont Turf Sprint. And I think the 10 horse is very, very honest, versatile, and this horse might be the quickest in here. Could be sitting maybe second. I don't know about on the lead, but maybe sitting second or third if Noble Emotion sends hard from the inside. I could see you know one or two others flashing some speed. Dancing Buck should be in a great spot. Noble Emotion, the one who I mentioned, could be showing speed. Arzak also fits really well in here. I thought the 11, Chewing Gum, was dead last inside and was way out of it. If they go quick enough, he can come closing. So I would use them in the exotics, but I prefer Dancing Buck, 10-1 to 11. In the Champagne, Mile for two-year-olds, verifying will be tough, but a lot in there have shown speed in their wins and in their early races. Blazing Sevens can sit. I'll use the three and the five in exotics there in the Champagne. Couple stakes races at Belmont at the Big A on Saturday. Best of luck over on the East Coast at Aqueduct. Let's go to Churchill Downs, where we have a couple stakes races. And they're right next to each other. They're the ninth and the 10th. And they're almost identical. You have a mile, one turn a mile in the ACAC. And then you have a mile and an eighth in the Luke in the uh, Lucas Classic in back-to-back. And a lot of the same horses that would be in these races kind of dilute them. Now, the ACAC, I'll try to beat Speaker's Corner. I like three technique a little bit. He had some good races at Churchill Downs. He ran three in a row. That race back in in June, he, 
it was not as bad as it may have looked behind Cotto River, and then he was beaten just a neck behind Cody's Wish last time out, who came back and, and beat Jackie's Warrior. Three Technique did get legit shuffled on June the 5th. He's put together a string of three good races. I think he's fresh. It's a good spot for Three Technique. The Three Fulsome is also sharp and will come running. No real opinion in the Lucas Classic. I've always been a fan of Hot Rod Charlie, but... He's got to come back and win in a big race here. This is the perfect spot for him to get a nice prep win heading into the Breeders' Cup. So a couple of stakes races out at Churchill on Saturday. Let's talk a little bit about the Santa Anita card for Saturday. In race number one, if you're playing any pick fives and, and stuff on October the 1st, Devil Moon's going to be tough. Throw in, the, throw in Chicago Soldier in there also. But let's go a little later in the card. We have the John Henry Championship in race number three. It's a grade two. I think Master of Foxhounds could get the lead in here or be like the the best, the classiest of the speeds if, if someone goes and maybe he can sit right behind. But I think he has the pace advantage over this group. I like the four Master of Foxhounds as possibly a single in some early exotics. In the City of Hope Mile, which is race number five, I like the five in there quite a bit. Prince Abama. This is a lightly raced gelding with some upside. He's only raced seven times. He's been in the money in five of them with two-fourths. And he's going to go second start off a six-month break. He's never run a bad race. I think he can sit third or fourth in here, maybe even closer if Beyond Brilliant goes and if Tarantino tries to put some pressure on him. Prince Obama was fifth early in his last start. He was about three lengths off. He was in between. And he backed up. It was about five off. And he angled outside. And it was a pretty easy win for him. I love the fact that D'Amato steps him up with this group. He knows what it would take to beat a group like this. I went 5-3-1 in the City of Hope Mile. The Santa Anita Sprint Championship sees the return of Forbidden Kingdom, your Santa Anita Derby favorite. He won the San Felipe and the San Vicente before faltering in the Santa Anita Derby. He's back, and he will be tough to catch. If they go quick, maybe... You know, a horse like CZ Rocket can come closing, but I do think the the real key to this race is Toto Fino, the wild card on the outside. He beat three next out winners in his last start. He's won four in a row, and he's won 10 of 15. He gets the acid test. We'll see how good he is. The Eddie D is a fun race, race number seven down the hill. Two horses that I want to make sure to use in a lot of exotics, the nine Tango Tango Tango. This is the shortest trip he's ever been. And when he went seven and a half furlongs, he won. The way that the hill plays out, the outside draw is perfect. He can just kind of sit to the outside and try to come rolling late. With Dubai Key, Goliad, Air Force Red, there should be enough pace to run at. And they're all honest, right? Air Force Red, Goliad, if they got the lead, they would be tough. Gregorian Chant, super classy. And then the seven, what makes Sammy run? I've been waiting for him to run at six and a half down the hill. I've been Always thinking it would be perfect for him. And coming, he comes off a trouble trip last time out. So I have 7-9 as my top tier. In the awesome again, I'm going to give Express Train a big shot back. I think he needed his last race. I'm able to just toss it. It was behind flight line when everyone got crushed. It was his first start since April. He's training well for this. He likes it at Santa Anita. I'm going to lean Express Train in the awesome again. And in race number 9, it's the unzip me. Looks like there's a pretty good amount of speed in here. I'm going to the 9, Island of Love, who got bumped at the start in her last start. 
She was seventh. She was inside. She was about eight or nine lengths off, and she really got going late. Now you get the big cutback. So the race where she started to get going late was on July the twenty third. On August the twentieth, she just never had a shot. She was in too tough in the in the Oaks behind Spenderella. I like the nine Island of Love in race number nine. That's opening weekend Saturday over at Santa Anita. We'll have coverage of every racing day at Santa Anita. We'll also have lots of info about those free pick'em contests. Don't forget about those. Make sure to get involved every Saturday and Sunday. We're going to shift our focus now on to wrestling. This week in wrestling with Chad Cooper, we dive into everything going on on SmackDown. And on Raw and WWE, we talk some NXT, and then we finish up with AEW and with Dynamite. This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Since for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm -hmm. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad. Take two for this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper We're here on a Thursday recording It's really the one day of the week where there's not a whole lot of big important wrestling going on On Thursday as uh, we know Monday Night Raw, Tuesday Night has NXT Wednesday Night with Dynamite, Friday Night with, with SmackDown Chad joins us each and every week to check in on everything happening in the world of wrestling. Koopa Loop, before we even get into the wrestling, though, I got to give you props, my friend. You are doing very well with your college football plays. I appreciate that, sir. Yeah, I'm on a run. Last Saturday was probably, uh, you know, uh, my biggest day probably with college football in uh, several years. So, uh, you know, just taking, uh, I've learned a new approach. As you get older, you know, you, you learn, okay, well, um, yeah, just take your heart out of it and put your wallet there. And I look for uh, what I've learned to do in college football is look for value. And uh, not necessarily do I think Team A is not necessarily going to cover because of this or this. But look at the value, too. Look at see what other books are offering and uh, see if you can find some value there. And uh, it seemed to have paid off uh, with me here the first four or five weeks of college football. So we're going to try to keep it going. And we'll give a couple college football plays out at the end of the this show. But first up, we start with WWE SmackDown from last week as we are on the road to Extreme Rules. And the bloodline and everything going on with Sami Zayn right now is freaking fantastic. Man, when the bloodline comes out, Last week on SmackDown and Sammy's wearing a Bloodline t-shirt and Roman says, take that t-shirt off. And the Usos go and rip the shirt right off of Sammy. And it looks like the Bloodline is all getting ready to turn on Sammy for the beatdown. 
And then Roman says, take that shirt off. You're never wearing that shirt again because we got you your own shirt. <laughs> and they throw him his own shirt and it says, honorary oos. And it's got the Sami Zayn, like the little SZ on there. And man, Sammy just lights up. His face goes big smile. And Sammy sets up and Roman says, do you want to say anything, Sammy? Sammy goes, yes, I do. I acknowledge you, tribal chief. I acknowledge you. It was, man, this segment was so freaking good. And the little things that I love is that which of the Usos is mad at? It's Jay. It's Jay. Jay hates him. And Jay still hates him. Like, while all of this is going, Jay's giving him dirty looks. But everybody else loves him. Jimmy and Solo loves him. And Roman loves him. So there's this funny dynamic. And man, I got to say, this this was great. And I think we're all waiting now for Sammy. This is building up Sammy to be a huge baby face when this all is said and done. couple of things here, and I'm glad you brought that up. First off, the shirt, which is available now at WWEShopZone.com. This is not, <laughs> you know, it's not a paid advertisement. Uh, I'm just throwing that out there, but I'm sure it's available in all sizes. Um, you know, used to a lot of WWE segments were often cringeworthy. They were a little too long. They just didn't work. And, you know, you and I both had talked about this bloodline storyline here over the last month or two. We thought, okay, it's probably getting ready to run its course. The Usos are not losing their tag team titles. They're actually, they got two more. You know, Roman is not losing his title. Um, and lo and behold, they turned to Sami Zayn. And for this to be, I mean, we, we had another opener, a non-wrestling, op- traditional wrestling opener this week on AEW that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, that was kind of hard to get into. It had it had its moments, but this non wrestling segment uh, for, from Friday night was magical. And I'm here to propose the question: If this could go on long enough, do you think they could get a WrestleMania main event with Sami Zayn as the biggest babyface they can get against Roman Reigns, or? Is Cody ready, or is this maybe a, a Royal Rumble? I mean, I uh, I think they can do it. I think they can do it with Sammy. I don't know if they will, but I think they can. I think if Cody wasn't ready, I or think if this there, is a plan B. I really do. I, I mean, there isn't another guy now that'll be a baby face that people would you could build that people would want to see that there would there would be a story there. Um, you could have Kevin Owens helping him, you know. Like his buddy, help helping him fend them all off. And man, I there's a story they're telling with Sammy right now, and it is fantastic. Uh, this was just great, great stuff. And while we're talking about the the bloodline, they actually had the tag team title match versus the brawling brutes, and it was a really good match, as you would expect from all of those guys out there just going at it in. in Everyone's getting involved there. You know, Imperium comes down to the ring and, you know, Sheamus is there and Sammy's out there. Just a whole lot of this. It felt like an AEW match there at the end where there was every uh, yeah, everything. Yeah. And all, all I, I will say I will say that the Usos and the tag, the unified tag team titles seem 
to fit a little bit more on SmackDown in relation to there's just not very many established tag teams on Raw yeah. for them to go after, you know, other than the street froppers. I number one, I thought the match, it, hell, it's main evented SmackDown was pretty damn good. The ending kind of got diluted there. Um, and, you know, I'm anti that. I understand why it did that, you know, I think they're going to have a chase for the tag team titles, but the match itself. Man, kudos! That was a, that was a great main event. It's just it's just been great with everything that that the bloodline does. You know, Paul Heyman. I think uh, he narrated a uh, a segment uh, during SmackDown, which was really really good. So for all you know, purpose, uh, SmackDown is just is is rolling. And what a start to the show! And then it was bookended by a fantastic match. It was really good. It felt fresh, hard hitting. A lot of good stuff there. The women's champ, Liv Morgan, is getting built up. And the whole story they're telling here is that Liv isn't really extreme. Can she do what it takes in an extreme rules match against Ronda Rousey? And she beats Lacey Evans, and she went up to the top rope, and she hit a big, big dive. Like she was more of like a a seated senton from the top through a table. It was a pretty big spot. She hit it good, and she, you know, started going crazy and that's that's sort of the story they're telling can live, you know, be extreme for this match with Ronda. And I don't really love what they've been doing with Liv a whole lot recently, but I did think this week was good. And if they're telling this story, I thought this match and just that spot in particular was a good spot for her. Yeah, poor Lacey Evans. Um, oh, I know. She, she didn't even get a. I don't know, you got to get an entrance video. Poor thing. Um, that, that's I, you know I don't know. What the plan is for her, but you know she got a match with the champ. Uh, yeah, you know we talk about it again. How we just felt like Liv has just been, uh, just hasn't been hot as hot since winning the, the SmackDown Women's Championship. And I like the way they told this story of this other side to her. I'm just, I don't know if it's that believable with everyone. I do like I do like what they did with her and she bless her heart. She's trying to do it and it just seems out of character to her, but it does show a different side to her instead of just the, you know, the cute little skipping around. Um, I, I like the extreme side. So I, I definitely, and we talked about this match, you know, how, how would they book it? Her and Rhonda at extreme rules. This definitely is a way for her to beat Rhonda and remain strong and make Rhonda look strong too, especially if there's going to be a lot of weapons involved. I don't know. Do we know yet what the stipulation is in this match? Or we, we just know it's uh I think it's, it's just extreme, extreme just like an extreme rules match, just extreme like a no DQ. Match. So, yeah. But so I, I like the story that they've told her that they're telling here that she has an extreme side. Now I don't want her to go get crazy and get hurt before this match, but I do think if we can get a couple, you know, uh uh Another, I'm not necessarily match, but something happens. She snaps. I think it would be more believable. But I like the way that they're trying to tell us there's another side to uh, live here. It could be believable in her beating Ronda at Extreme Rules. Very much agree. The We checked in backstage with Hit Row. <laughs> they were just, just partying in the back um, as they were watching uh, the tag match. So they're interested. And hey, you know what? You don't have anything for them. You just had them kind of win the squash last week. You don't, you know, so check in with them. I like the fact that they mentioned the tag team titles. That's something that not enough wrestlers do anymore. Like everyone should want to win the title, right? Otherwise, why are you in wrestling? 
What's the point of being in there if you don't want to win the title? And if you're a tag team, you should want to win the tag team titles. That should be what you want. So they were just partying with uh, Street Profits and Nakamura backstage. The the (laughs) bloodline attacked Ricochet and Madcap Moss. So those two baby faces were just trying to trying to tell Sammy, hey, man, they're using you. You know, they're just disrespecting you. You're not a part of the bloodline. And um, Sammy is, uh, he's blinded, though. He's at the cool kids table right now. <laughs> you know? <Good> way, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I think we, we get a match of that next week, right? Or yes, this with, week coming up. With them too, right? With with yeah. uh, Madcap and Ricochet. Ricochet. Yeah. Yeah. Versus Sammy and, and uh, Solo. Yes. That's the, uh, which... Do we do we get like at some and I wonder if this was something there's so many cool ideas with this. You know, just two weeks ago, we thought it looked like it was going to be Sammy and KO. Right. That would beat the Usos. What if it was like Sammy and Solo? That that would now that is something that is different and I could get behind because I don't you even know, know look, where it's going. But in no, my head, no, it just I just it, thinking about it. What if Sammy and Solo back their way into some? They backdoor it, yeah. Like there's a tournament or something, and there's a t- I don't know whatever it is, and all of a sudden it has to be Sammy and Solo against the Usos. I, I, I could, could, you know, it's always Sammy Zayn and KO is always going to be there, mm-hmm. right? That 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 is that's a no brainer. But yeah, you could see them back back their way in, and Solo get you know okay, we're we're going to lay down in this match. You know, Sammy's going to take the pin. Um, as solo, something happens. Sammy, quick roll up one, two, three. Our uh, solo gets you know KO'd during the match, and them two win the title. Now that's something that that would be completely out of the ordinary. But you keep it in the family though, the titles. So I can I can I can definitely do something like that. And then I, you know, it it, it definitely as you said, there's a million different ways you can go. Sammy could go. Uh, Roman Reigns, Sammy can go after these tag titles. I think it's going to lead to something like that because I think Sammy and Jay are probably going to have a match sooner rather than yeah. later. I think yeah. that's probably next up. And, you know, we start seeing some cracks in the foundation here a little bit. But, it, man, it sure is fun trying to figure it all out. Lots of possibilities. We had the New Day defeating the Maximum Male Models, and we're we're getting it, Coop. Yeah. We're get L.A. Knight, baby. He was – he, he was he mad at the end. Yeah. He kind of flipped out. I think with maybe another week or two before. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah it was a quick squash. And then what did they like start posing after the loss? And that, that, that piss, that pissed him. Max Dupree off and he's stormed out. Yeah. He's got to turn here pretty soon. He's got to turn. You talk about a pop. That'll be a pop when he turns. The Braun Strowman with a, uh, a win over Otis. This, this is what they like to do with Braun. Let him do impressive feats of strength. Power I like bomb. this. I like this segment. Me too. He, he will. People forget Otis can go. Yes. Like Otis can wrestle. He's fine in the ring. Otis was a like a legitimate real wrestler too. So he's trained. He's athletic. And this was solid. This was fine. Like for Braun, you you have to have him beat some guys that look impressive. Otis is big. That's a good a good something for Braun until you kind of figure out what where you want to go with him and, and what story you want to tell with him. Yeah. And I don't know. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, I think it's too soon to put him with Roman. Um, it, it, it kind of, uh, 
you know, it buries his his push because I think he's he's had a hot start coming back. He looks phenomenal uh, to be in great shape. So I, I like this. Um, maybe Survivor Series, we get something where he's got a group against Omos's group. I don't know. I just don't know what you do with Braun here on the, the blue brand. Um, but I, I enjoyed this match. I enjoyed this segment. I, I like both Braun and Otis always have been. And, of course, Gable is, is just phenomenal as well. Babyface Sheamus is getting a yeah. IC title rematch on October the 7th. So not this Friday, but next Friday, Sheamus will have his IC title match. Man, there's some buzz behind him. And yeah. the I wouldn't be shocked if Sheamus won that no. title. No, I, I I put some money on that for sure. Um, uh, not, nothing against Gunthor. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, it's not even a problem with him. It just feels like Sheamus. It reminds me a little bit of what's going on in AEW with the acclaimed and sure. swerve in your glory. It's like sure. Gunther's in an okay spot and he's done pretty well with what they've done. But Sheamus just kind of naturally caught fire right now. And the people really want to see him win this thing. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, a lot of people try to dissect it too much. Well, is the championship going to, to change on uh, SmackDown, whether the uh, 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 not extreme rules. I could see something happening here on October 7th um, where uh, something goes awry and then we get a rematch at extreme rules um, and Sheamus, yeah, they just beat the tar out of each other and Saint Sheamus goes over there. But I think Sheamus, Sheamus is probably going to win this championship. If anybody deserves it, you know, this guy is just, uh, he he's he defies age too. His this guy is style of bruiser type wrestling, very physical. He's been you know he's been around for a while. I, I think he's a WWE lifer. A lot of injuries. He comes back. He he's just hot. And as you said, you know you got to strike while the while the iron while the old iron skillet's hot. And I would definitely put that title on him. It may wait to Extreme Rules. We'll see. Um, but I definitely think the title changes hands to him pretty soon. Yeah. Drew and Karrion Cross have yeah. a, a match set up for Extreme Rules. Drew came out. It's going to be a strap match, so they're you know Ooh. they're they're building that. And then Scarlet came out, followed by Karrion Cross, who actually ends up getting the better of Drew here. He stands tall, and Drew kind of passes out. What do you think about the build for Drew Karrion Cross? I think it's pretty good. Um... I like the fact that we're not seeing Karrion Cross in a match before this. And I think uh, we mentioned something about that last week here on the podcast. Um, I, it's uh, And when you add a stipulation, a strap, this is going to be pretty brutal. Um, you, they're, they're going to, you talk about beat the hell out of each other. They're going to beat the hell out of each other. And it wouldn't, you know, I... For all sense and purposes, I, I don't see Drew losing this match. But anytime you have a stipulation involved, it, it, it gives it gives the lesser of two the opportunity to go over, and and it doesn't make Drew look as bad. Um, I, I, I like it. I, I like the match. Uh, it, it's a new dynamic to carry and cross. Um, if you're kind of worried about him being not up to you know, 100% WWE superstar in ring status. Like, you know, we remembered him with the, the three weeks in a row getting buried by Jeff Hardy when he was the NXT champion on, uh, on raw. So if, if you're going to try to 
hide some of that, which I don't think a lot of stuff needs to be hidden. He doesn't need to be a five-star guy. Um, I think that, uh, I think this is a perfect opportunity for, for carrying cross to go over. I like carrying cross in this position here. I think he goes over all Drew at extreme rules. Do we, do we get a, a coop, a Shotzi Raquel tag team? Cause it looks like they're teasing that a little bit right now. Raquel picked up a win over Dakota in a singles match because Shotzi came down to help. I believe Aaliyah is out with injury yeah. for a while and there aren't all that many other tag teams. Maybe we get a Raquel Shotzi team as a challenger for the for uh, damage control. Yeah, I think we do. I just, you know, I, this goes back to the champions losing, and I don't mind so much. It, it's it's the lesser of two evils when a tag team loses, uh, the champions lose in a non-title match. I guess it. it doesn't look as bad when one of them loses a singles match. I, I just, I've never really been a big fan of somebody holding the title and them having to lose non-title matches. And I understand, you know, what, what we're going with here. I just think it lessens the championship belt, not, not just Dakota Sky. We saw EO, what, she had a singles match against Bianca. Was that right on Monday night? And she lost, which was a good match, yep. good physical match. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, yeah, I, I'm not worried about Dakota and EO. I'm just worried about the championships a little bit. Why? I, you know, I know they're they're they like Raquel. Um, it, it's pretty obvious, but yeah, I would think we get a tag team match, you know, championship match here pretty soon out of it. I just don't like anybody holding a title, taking a pin. I, I just don't like it. We saw two of them do it on Friday and Monday. I just don't like it. Never been a fan of that. Yeah, never been a fan of that. The Show finished up with the tag team title match that we talked about where the Usos defeat the brawling brutes and there was all the uh, the excess stuff going on. But a solid episode of SmackDown and SmackDown's been rolling with their ratings as of late. They've been getting huge, huge numbers as we shift on over to Monday Night Raw and we opened up with Bianca, Alexa, Asuka, and... Of course, we know that Bailey, EO, and Dakota will end up coming out at some point. So they do, and it just sort of builds and sets up for what's going to happen at Extreme Rules as it's going to be a, a ladder match, I believe. Is, is that what we've uh, we've got now for I believe Bailey so. Bianca? I think what she said, Extreme Rules, I feel like winning the Raw Women's title in a ladder match. And uh, so I believe we're going to have a ladder match. We then got Bianca uh, Bianca versus Io. As you mentioned, those two have a, a really strong match, but Bianca picks up the victory there. So, and, I don't, and I don't mind that champion beating this champion. You know, right? Not at all. That's exa- That's how it's supposed to be. Yep. Yeah. No, no issue it, it, there. Yeah, and, and I don't because it was a really good match, and you, you're, you're losing to the women's champion, which probably you're supposed to do that, so I don't have that problem. I do wonder if... Uh, does it feel like to you that Bailey's in the the right, you know, the right position here to to go over and win the title from Bianca? Because I think I want I, at the I beginning think I like of this the idea of it more than than it feels right now. Yes, at the beginning of this, I said, okay, Bailey's back. Let's put the rocket on her. I don't feel that right now. It's, something's missing a little bit. It's not bad, but I don't know if she feels like she's in the place where she should be taking the title off of Bianca and being the main. Champion, the female champion on the show right now. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Something isn't quite connecting. Maybe it's we need to see a, a good match or two from Bailey. 
more. You know, we haven't really seen her in the ring all that much. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm not quite sure with this yet. I need to see a few more weeks of buildup if I'm going to think Bailey has a shot to win this thing. The the Miz <laughs> gets the Miz gets choked out uh, by uh, our buddy Dexter each and every week. It, it seems like. Um, and this has become sort of like a, I don't, I think, don't think people really know exactly what to do or who they're supposed to be rooting for in these situations. Um, because Miz is the bad guy, but we're rooting for like a kidnapper stalker. It's, <laughs> it's definitely a, a little bit off, but it, it does make me laugh quite a bit. And I, I just wonder where they're going, right? Where, where is the, where does this lead to? Other than just a match between them two, I don't know. I mean, what else could you do, really? Um, and then, you know, the Miz is, could do just about anything. Where, where does Dexter Loomis go from here? You know, I, what's, his, uh, what's his wife's name or uh, his uh, work wife? Uh, what's her name uh, from NXT? Um, he showed back up there on NXT a couple of weeks ago, so we thought maybe a mixed tag uh, could be something here in the future, but I don't know what the payoff is other than just a, maybe you have a squirrely type of match on extreme rules. I don't know what you can, you know, indie, indie Hartwell, right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe, maybe a mixed tag, you know, somewhere down the line here, I wouldn't do it for extreme rules, but I definitely see a match with those two with some kind of gimmick stipulation for it. But I, I don't know what the payoff here is other than just a singles match, but it's been fun and very entertaining, very creepy. You know, The Miz has just been fantastic in all these segments. Just really, really good. They've got a lot of things on Raw that are sort of all intertwining now. You know, you've got Rollins and Riddle stuff that's kind of mixing in with the Judgment Day. Because Priest and Rollins have these, or Priest and Riddle have kind of a past before. So now they're all kind of mixing together. Seth had a match with Rey Mysterio and referee ends the match because Rollins hits a stomp and... Ref, it was rest decision. Dominic's out there um, asking his dad to hit him in the head with a chair again. <laughs> so it, I, I'm I'm intrigued by a lot of this. It really does feel like they're building these a couple of these storylines together to possibly war games. Yeah, that that's what it is, right? This is. Uh, I mean, I, I, I would you like to see Roman Reigns and the Bloodline against the group though, or do we? Right, or do we need Roman Reigns defending the title against someone at, at SummerSlam War Games? Yeah, I mean, I would. I mean, I would love to see the Bloodline in a all together with Sammy. Yeah, it, all the Bloodline and Sammy in a match. But I don't know if right now they've got another team on the opposite side that feels like they would be built strong enough for that. Right to oppose the Bloodline. Who who are we throwing out there? Right, are we throwing because Drew kind of feels like he's in stuff with Cross right now. So would it be, you know, we're talking Ricochet and Madcap Moss, like those types of guys who are facing Solo and Sammy this week? I don't know if there's a strong enough group that they've built on the opposite side of the bloodline. Whereas if you have Judgment Day, you and now AJ's kind of in the mix in there too. You've also got Seth. You've got, you know, the you've got Ray. You've got Lashley, who's kind of in the mix. You, you almost have like 10 people right there. That I, I feel like they could do a better splitting of the teams, but man, Bloodline would be awesome. I just, yeah. I just don't know if they have an opponent for them, you know? That's true. That's true. And you know they're going to go over, you yeah. know, unless, unless Sammy, uh, you know, starts losing. But yeah, this is, this is, 
this is intriguing. Seth and Ray had a had a had a good match, a long match. Of course, the last time you remember these two, he was he was taking trying to take Ray Mysterio's eyeball out of his skull, you know, with the still steps um, a while back. But this is intriguing. You know, we talked last week that AJ needed something, um, desperately needed something because we were in fear of losing. Uh, you know, AJ Styles, not to AEW, but just, just being another one of the guys on the card. And this seems like with him getting involved, it's kind of elevated this. And yep. again, you know, he's been asked to, to join the group and he just says, no, no, no. So, but I definitely think we can get some good matches and some good combos out of this. Johnny Gargano and KO teamed up to beat Alpha Academy here. Do you think this is a... Th- a thing moving forward or do you think this was just like a one-time thing man i don't know i don't know ko's been involved in some tag teams here uh recently i kind of like it you know i kind of like you know ko and johnny g i i I don't know if they don't have anything immediately planned for the two of them i'm fine with it like if you don't have a bunch of other stuff Right, and you just have the Austin Theory in the mix with both of them. I still think we're gonna get a we're gonna get a match where that money in the briefcase maybe a triple threat with those guys for the briefcase. That could be kind of a fun one where you have Johnny and KO who are buddies, but then they both want to win that briefcase, you know. So they're not gonna let each other get in, and then Theory weasels his way out with it again, you know, something like that. Yeah, and you could see Johnny winning it. You could see or KO, KO. It and, and going to SmackDown and, and saying, hey, you know, Roman Reigns or, you know, for Monday night, for what it's worth. I think that's what's coming up with these three involved. That's a good call there. I always thought we were going to get a Money in the Bank briefcase um, on the pole or on the whatever, you know, hanging above the ring. I just didn't know how they're going to do it, but a triple threat sounds way better than just a one-on-one. Another dynamic to it. Got a squash for Omos. They just give <laughs> Giving him some squashes here. Joey Gibson and Greg Lester. He sends them over on, on the commentary table. Uh, or he stands up on the commentary table after laying both guys out. Um, so, I mean, I don't I don't mind squashes for the big man. I feel like inevitably him and Braun are going to meet at one point, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have to. Have to. I, I, you know, I, maybe at Extreme Rules. Maybe you yeah. get something like that. I don't know. Um, I don't know what to expect out of that. But I just, I don't. At least they're putting him out there uh, each week. I, I don't know what this leads to other than them trying to build him back up. I don't know if he needs to be built back up because he's so big. But other than him and Braun to pay off at Extreme Rule or at uh, Survivor Series or something, I don't know. It's just there's really nothing there for Omos. He can't do the Bobby, Bobby Lashley route again. We've already been down there. So I have no idea where you could go with somebody like that. Especially with – look – it's always hard when somebody's that big going after a title, whether it be United States, Intercontinental, a tag title, you know, your heavyweight title. You're, you're going to more than likely face someone that's a heck of a lot smaller than you, unless it's Roman Reigns. And I wouldn't waste Roman Reigns, a Roman Reigns match or program with Omos. Would you want to see that? No. So I don't know what they do with Omos here, but he, you know, he's on TV squashing people. We had. Candice LeRae show back up. Great to see Candice. She just had a baby not very long ago. She looks fantastic, and she's in great shape. I called Candice LeRae maybe more than I ever announced any wrestler in person, um, introducing her at shows in Monrovia, in Southern California, in Las Vegas, one in Reno. And she was a blast. Everybody always loved her. She was so sweet. And she is a good, good worker. I, I just... I think they they have to build her 
because she was sort of in a weird spot. She never really got brought up to the main roster. She right. popped up in a few Royal Rumbles, right? But she was always on NXT. She never had a real main roster run. And she was starting to do a lot of really good work with Johnny. They had the family with Dexter and Indy. There was funny stuff going on there. But um, but they just have to make sure because they sort of treated her last week or when she came out like everybody might know her. And I think a lot of people do and people will really like her. But she's not quite she's not quite the name as Johnny. Like mo- everybody knows who Johnny was. Whereas I think some may not have quite known who Candice was. When they find out who she is, they're going to like her. She's going to be a nice add to this women's division. She's really good. She's someone that you can put in a single spot. She could be really good in a tag, in a tag team. Yeah. You know, in, I definitely in, like her in tag. And plus, they did a, a a nice little backstage segment. You know, with her later in the show that I thought was good. To to if you if you're not one of those ones that have missed NXT. Um, uh, when she was on there, uh, she can go, man. She's good. Um, she's good in the ring. She's great at promos. Um, I'm excited about this. I really would like to see her and someone form a tag team and make a run at it. But as you said, she's good in any spot. She could be a singles role. She can, she could be in a program with, uh, with, with your champion and, uh, have some good matches. So I, I just, it, it was good to see her in another segment. I, I, I think that, uh, they're definitely trying to bolster, uh, this raw women's uh, lineup, and it was it look. It was only a matter of time before she was coming over. Um, she's good. Or hey, pair her and Johnny G up. You know, I'm not saying mix tag this or that. I'm just saying pair them up and have something for uh, for them. Have them form a stable or what have you. She's Miz, really, right? Really Miz, you could feel like a Miz and Maurice. Instantly. Oh, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that that mixed tag team with Miz and Maurice is always a good safety net because it's just so good anytime they're involved. And the way Johnny G and Candace can be on the mic with those two, oh, that'd be fun. Be a great dynamic of people that you truly like and want to root for, and then people that you truly want to boo on the opposite side. Um, and then we had a couple really strong matches. First, AJ versus Sami Zayn, which is just cool as hell to think about. Sami versus AJ on a Monday Night Raw like this, and Sammy picks up the win with help from Solo. And following that, we had Damian Priest versus Matt Riddle. And Matt Riddle ends up picking up the win. Following Matt Riddle's win, the Judgment Day attacks him, but he's saved by Edge. You think you know me. On this day, I simply Not to be confused with our Brooks and Dunn song that we'll be but we still bit. have that same twang, you know. Yes, we do. <laughs> and it's sort of, you know, it's funny. We we have the same thing that we do for LA Night. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. We're, all, we're right in that same boat, Coop, you and I. We're right in that same. <laughs> yeah, it's like every time Jerry and Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza would make fun of someone on Seinfeld, they use the same voice, you know, for yes. it. That's us. We just, that's, that's, right. same, that's our imitation voice right there. That is. That's funny <laughs> stuff. So there, there seems. You and I agreed with you when you said it last week. There just seems like there are a lot more good storylines and positive things happening on Monday Night Raw right now than a, a, a couple months ago. You know, just going through four or five different things. I like a lot of what they're doing with the Judgment Day. It's nice to see Edge back. We don't know what AJ is going to be in that mix there. Seth and Riddle have some cool stuff happening. And then we got into the women's stuff with Bianca. You know, we have. Um, Johnny and KO doing their thing. We have um, the, you know, just a lot, like a lot of things going on. 
Uh, do you think we get is is Bray Wyatt coming? Is is this what we're getting with the you know it has we to keep, be Bray right? Yeah, it has to be Bray. You would for I think it's definitely going to be Raw where he returns. I definitely think they need him. Hey, look when you're when your main champion who holds both titles, which you know now it's you know it's one champion, undisputed one championship. When he's not on your show. You have to get really aggressive and you mm-hmm. have to, most of your segments and storyline, most of them, most of them, if not all, have to be a hit. This can't be like Saturday Night Live where one segment is, eh, um, then you have to hit a home run here. And I think over the last couple of weeks has been some of Triple H, Shawn Michaels and the exec and the rest of the executive, uh, uh, you know, writers and developers here. Um, that do these storylines, this has been some of their best work because it's really hard when you don't have that name and face and that champion on your show. And I think they've done some really good work here over the last couple of weeks because most of these storylines are pretty intriguing. I want to just read through quickly what happened on NXT, and then we can spend a few minutes on AEW because I have to have a little quicker edition this week. Over on NXT, we had Joe Gacy beat Cameron Grimes. That was sort of weird, you know? Yeah, I I like it. I just don't like this where this is going. Saul Ruka looks like someone they're very excited about. She's a little green, but she is athletic as hell. You can just like the way she moves around the ring. It doesn't look like when, when wrestlers begin wrestling and like, you know, you can tell they're doing everything in slow motion in some of their first few matches. It feels like they're waiting on the other person and then they go and then they stop. And it's like a dance. She doesn't really feel like that. She feels like she's just an athlete who's, Okay going all in she's gonna take Some time to get molded But I, I was pretty impressed Yeah I was I was too you gotta remember The good thing about uh, these last Couple of episodes of NXT they've been Taped and, and uh, if it wouldn't Have been taped uh, we Probably would have had a best of On Tuesday night because of Hurricane Ian Yes uh, but yeah some Some good matches here some good debuts here And definitely something to watch I, I'm with you Still a little green but a ways to go but there's been some some really aggressive matchmaking here. Uh, seems like they're trying to throw a lot on us over the last couple of weeks. So when they do get back uh, here to Tampa, uh, which was spared for the most part, uh, thankfully, um, I, I think that uh, things are going to be really, really fun on Tuesday nights. Nikita Lyons picked up a win over Caden Carter. Nice to see Nikita back. Uh, we had Dragunov cut a promo. And then Dragunov ends up getting a win over Zion Quinn. So it's going to set up a triple threat for the NXT championship between JD McDonough, Ilya Dragunov, and Braun Breaker, which should be an absolute blast there. Uh, Damon Kemp beat Brutus Creed. And then afterwards, Kemp beat him down with a steel chair and he called out Julius. Wes Lee picked up a big win. I would not be shocked if he wins this thing. They've been telling a story with Wesley for a while, and he has that story with Carmelo and with Trick. Mandy Rose picked up a win over Fallon, and then the Pub Rules match, Briggs and Jensen beat Coffey and Wolfgang. What stood out to you, anything positive or negative that we saw on NXT? I, I liked it. You know, it felt tape, but there was some good action. The one thing that I really caught that, well, I really liked and that I caught is... Um, you know, Andre Chase. Uh, oh, yes. Ch- oh, yes. And, and, and the question came from uh, someone out in the crowd or in the audience or what have you in the makeshift press conference. And did, you, <laughs> did you catch Andre Chase saying, Dave, 
That's not a five-star question. He did. Meltzer. Incredible. He, uh, incredible. He, melt, he meltzered him. And he said, <laughs> this is a teachable moment. And I don't th- think he will. But, man, like, he's a, he's got a shot to qualify for that North American title ladder match next week. And, and he faces Von Wagner. So he'll have an opportunity there. I know who the crowd's going to be, hi- be behind in that match. It sure ain't going to be what? Von Wagner. You know what? I have a feeling that that Andre Chase is is going to be pushed here a little bit. I, I think, think he's, he's getting got, in that match. I do too. I, think I, he's I do. Get in that ladder match. I think he gets in this ladder match. He he's kind of got some Cameron Grime uh, push pop to him when Cameron was 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 there dealing with L.A. Knight and the million dollar title. I think Andre Chase here could be a sleeper here and get in that match and 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 make it really really fun. We move to AEW Dynamite. They've really changed the the style of the show recently, and I think since everything happened a few weeks ago, they've they re- really want to lean on Jericho, Danielson, Moxley. Those three in particular have been getting a lot of TV t- time, and I can understand why. Those are your three big stars. They're proven. They're guys that don't screw up. They you just you know what you're gonna get from them. I will say, overall. I did not like this episode, and I've heard a lot of the really hardcore AEW fans that really didn't like this episode because um, why why is there so much push about Ring of Honor? Like, I why, don't know. I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. And, why, why is your heavyweight champion, whether it's your interim, your undisputed, defending, reigning, what, why, why is that guy wrestling in second and third matches on the on the freaking program. It's not hard to figure out. It was just, it, no, this was one of their worst episodes in a while. And they've had some pop. We'll give it to now, them. They've had pop. The, the, the opening segment was kind of funny. You have, you know, Judas hits and here comes the Jericho Appreciation Society. They're all wearing these purple suits that I've got one on the way for you, Chad. And it, it was, it was, it was funny. Like they look good. They've got the they got the Luigi out there, Luigi Primo making the pizza. So they're gonna have a championship celebration. Uh, but Anna Jay gets on the mic, and it's really awful when she starts screaming. And and then I, I don't mind. Like I, I think the idea that Jericho has, I'm gonna beat all the former Ring of Honor champions. Cool. Like that's a cool idea for a promotion that's still around. Ring of Honor is not a promotion anymore. They're oh. not Ring of Honor. They don't have TV time. They don't have a weekly show. And here's the thing. I don't re- think Tony Khan realizes what, what's happening. And I was listening last night, Chad. You and I recorded this on Thursday. I was listening last night to Wade Keller on the, the PW Torch. And why I like Wade and I, I like to listen to some of his shows is because I think he's the most fair when it comes to critiquing AEW. Of I any, agree. Totally of agree. Anyone okay. out there. He will say the things that you and I say, and they're just, but why did that, why did they do that? You know, he'll say, well, sure, the match was great, but what was the point of that? Or why didn't they set it up more? Or what's the whole point? Like, I don't understand when you have a roster as deep as you do, why, why do you feel the need to always bring in New Japan wrestlers, Ring of Honor wrestlers, people from other places? Can you not tell your own story? Do you you can only tell old That's stories. Every story they're telling is an old story, something from New Japan, something from AEW or from from um you know a different company, something from Ring of Honor. 
in this particular show, well, we heard that Juice Robinson beat Moxley before. We didn't really see a whole lot of it. We didn't, you know, we saw a little bit of a clip. We didn't get much build. Why don't you bring Juice Robinson in for a month, have him win two or three matches on TV, and then give him a shot against Moxley? And then second of all, why does Juice Robinson, as a free agent, a non-contracted AEW wrestler, why does he get a chance to win a chance at the title? Well, duh. What did isn't, he do? Isn't he with Tony Storm? Absolutely. You know, well, that's like, why. <laughs> and like, what on this this company has told me they wanted to be like real sports. The wins counted. What did Juice Robinson ever do to deserve to get a shot in an eliminator match against Moxley? Wouldn't every other wrestler on the roster want that same match? One hundred percent. I I don't understand. So. Why do you feel the need to bring in Juice, who's great? It's not it's nothing against Juice. Like, he's a good wrestler. I like Juice. His matches are good. But you have a bunch of other Juice Robinsons on your ro- roster already. Why do you need to feel the, to bring in Bandito? When you preach! Have, no, preach! Bandito is fantastic. If anybody watched this main event match and hadn't seen Bandito, you're not going to come out of the match and think you're impressed with him. And you want to watch him wrestle again. But you you bring in these guys, you bring in Keith Lee, you bring in Swerve, you bring in Cesar, you bring in all these people, we get excited about them, and then nothing, and then you just keep bringing one-off people from other companies. I don't understand what the point is. What? I, I don't either, and, it, and if, it, if he thinks, and I mean he as in Tony Khan, because I, I don't know what's going on with the EVPs, I don't know what has happened over the last year or so of who makes all these calls. This can't just be one person coming up with all of this, but it just seems like there's so many people tugging at one rope. I, I just, I, I it's, it's frustrating to me that you do, you, you, you sign all these people. We haven't even got to poor page yet. No, that's we'll get to her in a second. And, and I've got some notes on that, but poor Claudio uh, you get, why did I love Chris Jericho? I love him. I, he, I've always been a fan of him from way back when I, I I'm a mark for the, the, the Fozzie stuff. Why does he have the, uh, an ROH championship and why is he in the main event? I had no problems with this match. Not at all. It's a Not great match. It just doesn't why is this title more important than your main champion or your women's champion, Tony Storm, who is also on the show? This Ring of Honor title is more important. It's funny. All of the stuff that Jericho is going to say as a heel, he's right. More yes. people have seen the Ring of Honor title in the last week than ever before. There's not a bunch of people that are dying for Ring of Honor anymore. This is something that Tony Khan is like, doing for himself. This is not something that is growing their business. And I don't, I just don't understand. Like if this was Jericho, the same exact feuding over like the TNT or TBS title, I would just feel a little bit more invested in it. Like why am I supposed to invest in new Japan titles and other companies titles? I want to be invested in AEW's titles and the stories they tell us. Yeah. I I just, uh, you made a great comparison. I think it was last week when we talked about, uh, you know, when WWE had finally bought out ECW or brought it back. Yeah. You know, at, at least it was 
somewhat of a still name. I, I there's a lot of people, there's a lot of new wrestling fans that have no idea what Ring of Honor is. There's a handful that that know what Impact is. When, but but I got into an interesting conversation with someone on Twitter the other day, and it got it got heated at the end. And you can't tell me that tone, the 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 conversation went. I questioned someone about the same thing you and I are talking about. And I'm glad you brought up Wade Keller. And look, Wade Keller is really, really tough on WWE too. So if you Absolutely. think that's, that's why I like him, he's tough he on everybody. Not. He is not, but that, that was the question I had in, in the, the gentleman on the other Twitter account told me, well, he's doing this. So we, he's building up everyone. You have to go on YouTube, dark and dark elevation. Well, it ain't happening. It's not, ha- I'm not doing it. Who Most is doing other it? People no, are. people Nobody's are not. doing it. The, the YouTube numbers don't lie. They're not, I mean, you get paid by YouTube to, to put programming on there. They're not juicing numbers. I, I just, I think that's, that's a, I, I just think they're, I don't know. And why that Jericho would need that title. Poor Claudio. I mean, just poor Cesaro. I mean, this was, this, I, I just, I, I, it's I, I, this, this, was, this episode really, really frustrated. If me. this really was like, I'm going to go, I mean, if you had a more established company, if he was saying this, I'm going to beat every IC champion. I, I like the idea of him taking out all the Ring of Honor champions. If Ring of Honor was still a thing, even like if there was still a Ring of Honor company that had a weekly TV show that Jericho was on, I think the angle is great. But what are we going to do? They're going to bring back some of these Ring of Honor champions. He's going to be facing Brian Danielson now for the third time in like a month, in two weeks. The matches have been great. That's fine. But they were big on never doing the rematches. And now we're getting another rematch with those two guys. And I I like the stuff with Garcia. But are we going to eventually get Garcia versus Jericho? There was one line that he said that made me laugh. He said... Daniel Garcia, you are the best technical sports entertainer in the world, which made me, <laughs> it, it just popped. And me, I don't really. know. I, and you know what's you know what's interesting here is, and we won't ever know this. Maybe we do if he says it one day when he leaves wrestling. Is Chris Jericho doing this at a dig to AEW? I, I, I mean, is he really making a dig on WWE and calling it sports entertainment? Because we we've definitely got away from sports entertainment it's, now that Triple H is there. It's, it sounds I like know. he's kind of taking a dig at AEW with it, some of these guys. Well, and, and how serious they take themselves, right? Yes. Like, yes. hey, we're wrestlers. We are real sports. Jericho's well, look, like, yeah, we brought in uh, we brought in Luigi Primo. He makes the best of pizza. When, you know, you they brought in him again. Say That's something like that to a guy who's been in the Tokyo Dome and who's <laughs> done every single thing. It's like. You're telling Jericho, like, that's the thing about Jericho. While he's a sports entertainer, and he's goofy, and he's funny, and he's got the catchphrases, the reason why it works for Jericho is because as soon as the bell rings, he's fine too. He's not doing that stuff to take away from the in-ring work. It's enhancing the in-ring work. It draws you into his matches even more. It's not instead of even Brian Danielson. Think about the yes and all that stuff. He... He, he figured out how, hey, I can make people care about my matches more. And that's all I want as a wrestler. I want people to watch my work and care about it. How do I do that? I got to make them care about me more. And so the the beginning, the segment was sort of funny. I didn't really have a problem with a lot of it. 
The only thing I didn't, what I really didn't like after, Daddy Magic, Matt Menard, he's coming off of an injury. And I will tell you, Chad, there were like two or three times in this match, it was Matt Menard versus Brian Danielson, where he threw a punch that didn't hit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, you could tell he was like taking it slow because he was someone that was just coming back from an injury. And it was like he he threw a chop that just like barely touched barely. Brian's yeah. chest. Yeah. And Brian doesn't want that. I'll tell you. No. He wants you to punch him. He wants you no. to knock the crap out of him. That's true. So I it just felt like the wrong if the guy if the guy's hurt, why do you put him in the match? Have his partner that's do it. That's what we, yes, the same you with have Paul. 50 other people. You have a whole roster. Why do you need it to be daddy magic? It didn't need to be him in that spot. I don't get it. Brian picks up the win. We then had okay, yikes again. I'm sorry. Um, we'll be finishing up in the next minute or two, but Coop, <laughs> why are they doing this to Wheeler Yuta? I think Wheeler Yuta <laughs> c- cut a more passionate promo than before. This was Better for Wheeler Yuta, but this feels like stuff that we should be seeing in the performance center. Like when you're cutting your promos and you're going to promo school and you're working it out, like these are all, I think he's taking steps forward, but you have him with MJF. And then I feel like this week, MJF almost didn't go at him as hard. Right. To to like not make him, not to make Wheeler come off as bad. So MJF was sort of, he didn't really say anything that was important. I honestly don't even know what Wheeler was saying. He was like talking passionately and quickly, but he was going around in a circle. He mentioned the Phillies haven't made the playoffs in nine years. I know MJF's going to mention that and this and that and that. And <laughs> I like, whoo, I took a breath. I texted you. I was like, what the hell did he just say? <laughs> you did. <laughs> I, did. I, was, I don't know what he said. Cutting your own promos via text. I, I loved it. <laughs> um, the Moxley Juice Robinson match, fine match, you know. Yeah. But we hate these matches when WWE does them. I hate them when AEW does them. Why do I want to see a number one contenders match or an eliminator match when you have to beat the champion to get another match against them? If you beat the champion, you should be the champion. I never understand this. I don't get it. Why do you have these matches? Have it be a number one contenders match against somebody else. It's the Royal Rumble is the stupidest idea in the world to create a number one contender because a battle royal has nothing to do with the one-on-one match, right? <laughs> but but at least it's an idea. At, even if it's stupid, at least it's a plan. Hey, go have a battle royal. They don't even do that. They have Juice face Moxley. Nobody in the right mind thinks Moxley's losing this match. So it's fine, but I don't I just don't understand. They they get so caught up in well, the match is going to be good. It doesn't matter everything before and after that because as soon as the bell rings, they're going to have 10 or 15 good minutes. I got to say, I need more than that. I need more than that. The level of wrestling everywhere is so good now, Chad, that I'm not going to be wowed by like a a nice four-star match that's like a 10-minute match with two people that don't have a whole lot of build and they're not telling me a story. That doesn't get me excited. No. No, you're right. You're right. And and as you... We're saying it earlier. I was I logged on to AEW, uh, alleliterestling.com as you, we were talking about people not having chances. Just looking at this, the roster who who could take some of these places and 
Man, I, I was shocked about how many people that I forgot about that I haven't seen about. So give I, us some I, of these names. Oh, look, let me let me. Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me start from the top. Um, these guys are injured, injured. Uh, we have Pac, Aaron Solo. We know Adam Cole is hurt. Uh, the Dark Order, Andrade. Uh, I know just a small backstage segment for him. You wouldn't have rather seen Andrade versus Jericho. Like, why not put him in the spot that you had Bandito there? Right? Yeah. I know they're telling this sure. Ring of Honor story, but like, it, Andrade is a guy on your roster that you're paying. Yeah, and just the list goes. Claudio is the one that I, that I feel real, real bad about. Uh, the guns, uh, just just Darby. Um, the Where's list Darby? Of- Where is Darby? Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, Why is you know, he, look, where I is he right now? I don't understand. I mean, Jungle Boy. So Christian's got an injury. So now you got to use him more. Where are these guys? I mean, look look at this rock. Like Fuego del Sol is five. Look, this. I'll give this to AEW. They keep their records, right? And Fuego del Sol is five and ten this year. Um, Hook, Private Party, uh, Jake Hager was not around this week. Um, I, the, you know, you mentioned Jungle Boy. You know, I, you know, Kip Sabian would finally got a match. Where's in. Miro? Miro, uh, th- is he filming things- a movie or is he hurt or something? He can't just not be on TV, right? Yeah, I, 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 it just the list goes on and on on some of these names, and it's just like most of them are just for yeah. Miro has wrestled three matches in 2022 on TV. Three matches this year on TV in what yep. is about to be eight, nine full months. That yep. is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Coop, Soraya. Comes out um, And This was exactly The opposite Of everything that she needed to come out and say yes. We don't know anything She didn't come out and tell us Exactly what's going on With wrestling It doesn't look like she's going to wrestle Even though initially it may have been thought So right now at least She says AEW is my house She says I'll leave the ring when I'm ready Talking about Cues and stuff like that This was weird It was not good Paige is a good talker This particular segment was not good It was awkward Nobody really knew where they were going And then she says She's going to do something revolutionary She's going to make a, a a lumberjack match The first time ever And then they make a match there's like no lumberjack involvement whatsoever. It's it's not even like there's a she's on commentary during the sh- during the match and she's not even you could tell she was rusty or nervous or whatever or maybe they told her to say this, don't say this. She was not very good. And she is normally really natural and really comfortable on the mic. That's something that she's good at. I don't think she sounded good. I don't think the segment went off well. I think immediately it made any one of those women who stood behind her feel like much less than her. Yeah. She's not even wrestling, and she like calls them all out and they're standing behind her as they're like, Oh, we're looking up to Soraya. I the dynamic of this was just all wrong. They should have come in right away and said, She's not wrestling, but she is gonna do this, she's going to do this. What is she gonna be? Like a GM matchmaker? Isn't that kind of what Madison Rain is? Didn't they just <laughs> or was supposed to, to be? Or was supposed to be, we thought. Um, 
you know, we talked about the, and I do at least, we talk about the crossover WWE to AEW, and you go back to real names or your indie name because WWE owns the trademark uh, for majority of these people, you know, unless you're like the CM Punks of the world. You couldn't have told me two weeks ago or last week when she made her appearance that this was going to be another one that add to the long laundry, laundry list of those who come over from the WWE to AEW and just don't make that transition. Of course, the ones that do like the Moxley's and the Brian Danielson's of the world, of course, CM Punk's something was off here. It was really, really, really just off key. It just didn't make sense. She repeated herself the revolution line. She goes, I'm the revolutions, something about the revolution. We're going to do the revolution. And hell, I read an interview today with Jim Ross quoting, I don't think he was lying about this. He has no idea if she was go- she's going to wrestle or not. He would hope so. I would think that's why they're bringing her in. And I think he's telling the truth. Nobody, I think he's a yeah. great shooter. I don't, I don't know. I would have made that last night. I would have said if, if she was wrestling, she would have said, I don't think she's cleared yet. No, I don't think no way. or if she is, they're worried and, about something. And if she's not cleared, honestly, is it worth it? Why bring her in if she's not? If she's not cleared and you don't have a plan for her, if she's not going to be the women's commentary person, right? She's going to call the women's matches. Or she's stable. This was not good. This was not good. And I'm very willing, and I like her. So I'm very willing to do what we did with CM Punk. I'm very willing to next week or in a month say, this is way better than it was before. And I'm glad that they've done this. And now we can move here. But- I'm I'm not I'm not really enthused about the start because what normally in AEW we get the great splash, the entrance and the the debut is awesome. If this debut wasn't good, and we know that they have a problem with their women's division overall, I don't know here. And then while this is going on, you got the whole crowd chanting for Jamie Hader. <laughs> I know, right? That and was she, odd. And how are you not going to go with her right now with Hader? Um, now and I've, then Britt comes out. You know, the good doctor, DMD, Britt Baker comes out and it sounded like the fans were more enthralled with her than they would with Soraya. Absolutely. You know, maybe it comes over different on TV than mm-hmm. it does in-house. But usually that's not the case because usually we got a fired up crowd wherever they go. Lifetime. Now, now I will say, because we've been very critical on this, I do think Tony Storm in ring has been pretty good in a lot of oh, her absolutely. matches. Sure, and in sure. this match, Serena Deeb is great. She yes. is a great opponent. She's a veteran. She's been there. She's done that. She she is a perfect opponent for any woman that you want to have sort of a showcase. She can let you have a you know five anywhere from like a five to fifteen minute match. Tony hits a second rope pile driver, which was a badass spot. So she picks up the win. Really good match, but it felt like I don't know. It felt like you have Paige come out and introduce like the JV team. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it just felt like they didn't feel like the big sh- the big story or like it it was it was not great for for Soraya's debut. We're going to finish up in the next minute or two. There's one or two things more I want to mention. So, last week, biggest moment ever for the acclaimed. One of the most natural baby faces on your show. Honestly, if you want to talk about AEW homegrown acts, eight a- the acclaimed is one of the best right now. 
Absolutely. They, they are the most over of any. The crowd has been behind them. The the hottest selling shirt is the scissor me daddy ass. Everybody's chanting that all over the place. <laughs> People are going crazy for it. They they were so popular at the pay-per-view that Tony Khan was basically forced into having a rematch for them and putting the belts on them. So all of that being said, we've got to have these guys out in the ring for a really big celebration and give them a bunch of time to talk on this show because they just had this big moment. And, you know, you crown them in, in an AEW, the matches go so quick and the shows go so quick that you never see somebody win a title and then get to celebrate. They never get the chance because it's always just right to the next match. So they're going to at least give these guys some time this week, right, Chad, to come out in the ring, get a big reception from the crowd, hottest baby face act on the show right now. They're not just going to have them do a 30-second backstage segment. Bowens cuts this incredible promo on social media over the weekend that was, like, emotional, talking about he never thought he was going to be there. I mean, they, they got to show that clip. On the pro on the program too, right? I mean, very easy. There's like a 10 minute segment for you right there where you let your baby faces come out. They celebrate. You show this video. Crowd gets behind them. We're at least gonna do all of that on this show, right? <laughs> no, Gino. We need to wait till next week when we announce it that they'll be there. I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't either. understand. That's like a simple thing. That crowd wants to to celebrate with them. Let them come out and go crazy. We didn't get that. But no. we got a, a Ricky Starks squash. Squash. No sense. Made no sense. She's like, okay, I like Ricky Starks on there. Do you? What did this do for him, though? Just let him cut a promo. That's it. Honestly. That's all you need by him. Man, he would be so damn good on NXT or in WWE. I know, I know he's I know. little, but man, his, his persona does not fit in with AEW. You know, I thought this was a home run get with him because I, I, I've seen him in indies. In and NWA, see, he was good, I've seen man. What, I've, yeah. seen, I've seen what he did in front of 10 people in a National Guard armory. I, I, I just think this is this is total misuse of, of Ricky Starks. That, if you're going to squash somebody, don't let Ricky Starks do it because the damn guy can wrestle. I know. I know. Just a bummer. Then they finished with the Ring of Honor championship match, Bandito versus... The Ocho, which he's doing the dodgeball thing, you know, yeah. from dodgeball, ESPN 8, the Ocho, and they're wearing yeah. the purple, like all the dodgeball team. So, I mean, Jericho's entertaining, and he makes the best out of every situation. It's just, this is what you want. You want to spend your precious TV time, one of your biggest stars, instead of building up your new promotion that's only three years old. <laughs> We're going to have a three-year anniversary coming up soon. You want to put all of this effort into Ring of Honor. I don't understand. And and the last thing I'll finish up with saying was one person that called in to the Wade Keller show that I was listening to, they said, I'm a huge Ring of Honor fan, Wade. They mentioned, I flew to this show here and watched. They were at like the first Ring of Honor shows. They said, this isn't Ring of Honor. I, I'm not, a, I don't like this. I'm supposed to, this isn't Ring of Honor. This is like AEW of honor, you know, like they're them just trying to throw. It has it is nothing ring of honor. There's nothing about the matches. There's nothing about the style. There's nothing ring of honor to what they're doing other than saying ring of honor. When they have that pure championship, that at least has different rules, that right. pure title. So that that's at least something different. But the people that were ring of honor fans forever, 
You think they like what they're seeing here? No, because this is but, a ring of honor but, to them. But Gino, you bring in Bobby, the ring announcer from Ring of Honor. <laughs> well, why not bring in Sinclair, the referee? You know, the original referee, Todd Sinclair. It wasn't that hill. <laughs> I think more people would have known Sinclair than would have known Bobby. Honestly, God, of course they would have. <laughs> Who I, doesn't know Todd Sinclair? And you're like, you're not really feeling sympathetic for Bobby. So I, yeah, I, I know we got to finish up and get out of here, but this was a, I, I didn't like this week for AEW. I, Me neither. I'm with I, you. I just didn't think the show was all that great. Coop, give us a, your, a couple plays real quick. Cause I know we both got to get out of here. Who do you like this yeah, week? Man. Yeah, man. Uh, there, there's two plays I'm looking at. I, I know Boise and San Diego State have not been putting points up on the board. I, for some reason, I'm getting good value here at over 39 at minus 110 juice. I'm going with that. And one other game I looked at, Michigan and Iowa. This is a massive, massive uh, early conference game here in the Big Ten. That line opened up Michigan minus nine and a half on the road at Iowa, who cannot seem to score at all. Now this line has gotten up to 12 and a half, 13 and a half. This is Iowa Super Bowl. Other than playing Iowa State, know, this that's is a Iowa lot Super for Bowl. a low total game, right? Yeah, I think the total in this game opened up at like 43 and a half. So you're telling me that that Michigan is basically going to beat Iowa by two touchdowns and maybe they backdoor it, but that's the chance I'm going to take. If you can get 12 and a half, God bless you. But I was able to get Iowa, the Hawkeyes at home, plus 11 and a half. I think the ATS, I think the trends go their way too. I think Iowa's just licking their chops here. And, and Michigan is coming off a, oh, you know, just one of those ad victories. But I think Iowa's sitting here and I'm going to take a chance. I know a lot of people are saying 24 to 14 in the Boise, San Diego State. I'm going to take a chance here. I'm going to go to over 39 points in that game, and I'm going to go uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes plus 11 and a half at home. little home dog there and then some points in the other. Koopaloop, my man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and I uh, look forward to chatting with you again next week. We'll see what happened uh, over the next week or so in the world of wrestling. Favorite time of the week, Gino. Give him a follow at the Chad Cooper. Oh, and we got to just say RIP to Coolio, man. Bum, oh, bum, man, bum, that was bum, yeah. I saw your your pictures. You just yeah. saw him the night yeah. before he passed away. How yeah. eerie yeah. is that? So, uh, Chad, we'll give you a follow at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. You have a fantastic weekend, buddy. Appreciate it, my friend. Have a good weekend. See you next week. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. A big thank you to Koopaloo for helping us out with this week in wrestling. Big thanks to Eric for always helping us out with our NFL game previews. And we'll have Santa Anita coming up for the next five weeks or so, each and every weekend. A lot of Belmont, a lot of uh, Keeneland as we shift the focus there next week. So we'll be on the road to the Breeders' Cup over the next month, Santa Anita and those pick'em contests. And thanks so much for hanging out with us. We'll also have Andor and She-Hulk recaps coming up in just uh, a couple days from now. So much content on That's What G Said. Thanks for always hanging out with us here. Hope everyone has a great weekend.